What is up, listeners? Welcome to Predator vs. Movies. I'm Alex. I'm Peter. And I'm Aiden. Hi, Alex. Hi, Peter. Hi, Aiden. Hi, Aiden. Hi Peter. That's right. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, in this podcast, <laughs> we discuss and review the latest movie releases. We're going to start off with a n- non-spoiler review before diving into a deep discussion of not one but two films. Because yeah. this week... We are doing Barbenheimer. Barbie and Oppenheimer came out this week, and we are reviewing both of them. And then, of course, as always, at the end, we will ask the most important question for both of these movies. Would either movie be better if the alien from Predator was in it? Um, Before we... So first off, we're going to start off with uh, Oppenheimer. So, uh, Aiden, can you tell us a little bit about, about this movie? We're getting right into it today, folks. We're skipping right to yeah. the skipping right to the meat. So this is uh, directed and written by Christopher Nolan, though it was based on the book uh, American Prometheus by Kai Berg and Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. Uh, it's starring Killian Murphy, Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Harnett, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, just to name a few. There are many others in the movie. Cinematography is Hoyt Van Hoytema. Uh, it was distributed by Universal, released uh, July 21st, runtime 180 minutes, clean three hours, uh, budget of $100 million, and has so far made $174.2 million. Wowee. Um, and uh, as always, after the movie information, we have a game we play. The game is called Predacritic. There's a uh, website on the internet called Metacritic where... Critic scores of a movie are average out of 100. We are going to guess where on that metric Oppenheimer lands. So I've that spun the wheel of names, the oh. fair wheel of names, the just wheel of names, uh, and it has landed on Aiden. Aiden is going Ooh. first. Uh, so as we'll find out soon, I quite liked this movie. Um, this is probably going to rank very high in my Nolan movie uh, roundup, if I'm being honest with you, if I was to think about where it's landing. Uh, and I also think that this is a movie that will just be generally appreciated. I think there's a lot of just pretty, like, objectively very solid filmmaking in this. Like, just, you know you know what I mean? Like, you can just, it's hard to not get behind a lot of what they're doing here. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably go in the 80s. And so I am going to guess... 83. 83. Uh, (laughs) Interesting. So, uh, Peter, you have landed next on the wheel. Where do you think? Is it a higher score? Is it a lower score? Can't Um, be the same score, so it's one of the two. So, I actually have a different opinion. I think this is actually a lot weaker than what I was expecting. Really? Um, Interesting. And actually, I would rank this on the lower end of the Nolan uh, portfolio. Really? Uh, but we'll, of course, get into it. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to the score, I do think this movie reviewed very well, both critically and from the audience. Um, so I'll give it a higher score. I'll give it an 85. My guess will be mm. 85. Yeah. Did I lowball now. it? I was scared of highballing it, but uh, maybe I lowballed it. Now, I have the opportunity to play it safe or... I could gamble and take it all. Just think about it. It's a three-hour-long movie. You'll be summarizing three hours in two oh, minutes. Shit. This is yeah. true. <laughs> you should guess lower than me. 
Look, I... You should guess... It would be so sick if you guessed lower than me. And you get it right? <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be lower. You know what? I'm going to be bold. This is how I like to Dude, live my life. Dude, he's going to give I a like 90, bro. Boldly. I'm not going to play it too bold and guess right. way out to where I think it could be. I will just guess a little bit higher than Peter. I think it will get an 86. Sure. Or above. Either way. Oh, I'm going to be summarizing this shit, aren't you? <laughs> you know what? I'm okay you with like having to summarize. And you know what? Sometimes, fuck, I have seen the Barbie one, so I cannot play in that Ooh. game. But um, sometimes boldness pays off. Nice. Oppenheimer currently has no one. 89. Holy really? shit. That's crazy. Critic. Uh, it is a must-see movie. It's green. And I I believe that is a, a great accurate score for this. Movie. I think that's pretty I, accurate too. That's that's around where I'm hovering, to be honest with you. Yeah. So uh, now that I've I've won this game that we play, I get to give the first non-spoiler review. Sure so Christopher Nolan is not really like for me. He's a filmmaker that uh, I think his films are fun to watch, but I, I've never really fully. I've never been a Nolan cell or a Nolan bro or whatever. Nolan. Uh, yeah. uh, unlike some other people on this <laughs> podcast. Unlike Nolan's uh, chair. Yes, unlike Nolan's chair. I wonder <laughs> who that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who's the chair? Anyways, anyways, it's my spoiler review. Um, I love this movie. This movie was fantastic. Uh, not without flaws. I do think, in short, it is trying to get through a lot of material very quickly, which results in some pacing issues. I think the editing is, um, I don't know if it's bad. It's just, it's just the, it's the pacing. It's too fast. And I think that combined with the like near constant background music, it feels like the whole thing is a trailer. It's a three hour trailer for mo most of it. Uh, there, are, there are times when it's not that, which feel more normal. Uh, but yeah, I, I kept thinking to myself, man, I would love to see the three and a half hour cut or the four hour cut where there's just like a little bit more room to breathe. I think for a movie to be perfect for me, I think it has to know just as well when to use pauses and silence as it sure. does noise. And not to say Oppenheimer doesn't do that or Nolan in, in Oppenheimer, but uh, could have used more of it. Uh, other things, the cast is phenomenal. Uh, the story was quite gripping, despite, you know, everyone knows how it goes, uh, how it ends, I suppose. That was a, a perfect <laughs> rhyming scheme that came out yeah. naturally. That was random. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this is maybe one of Nolan's best films. Uh, I'm not super caught up on his filmography, but... I think this is a really strong visual step up from where he usually is. And I, from the get-go, I was, like, hooked. So uh, I might give it a four to... Probably, no, I'll probably give it a four and a half. I'm, I'm pretty firmly at four and a half right now. Uh, and I would definitely recommend people go see this. So uh, next up is Peter. Peter gets to tell us what he thinks. Yeah, so usually when, uh, when I go see movies... I just look at the the score of the movies like just get a general sense of where this movie is sitting with critics and with the audience um but this one because uh no i love nolan nolan's extra special i actually read some of the reviews 
before going to this movie. And a lot of them talk about how Act 1 and 2 are universally loved and Act 3 is a little divisive. I actually got the exact opposite opinion coming out of the movie. I think Act 1 and 2 are actually the weaker acts of the film and Act 3 is actually the strongest act. Um, so just without getting to spoilers, the movie is broken down into no, uh, Oppenheimer's younger years, Oppenheimer's uh, time at Los Alamos and the Trinity test, and lastly, the consequences of like the post-nuclear era, the, the post-nuclear bomb invention era. Um, and there is a lot of it in Act 2 that's about building of the nuclear bomb. And actually, they, I'm very happy they steered away from the science of it and focused more on like the human aspect of building a nuclear weapon. Um, but I just thought, like, from someone who doesn't know World War II as well as some history buffs, I thought like the race between the Nazis and the Americans when it comes to building a nuclear weapons a lot tighter. But it turns out that the nuclear bomb wasn't like gonna be uh, gonna be finished in time to be used on the Nazi anyway. So already there's like a lot of tension taken away. So at the end, there's like a, literally a race to um, drop this bomb on Japan. So like. Um, a lot of tension that I was expecting to be there was not there. So, I mean, this is a bias on my part. So that's one of the reasons why I think Act 2 felt a lot weaker to me. But um, quoting uh, one of our uh, guests' review, Ryan, uh, I thought he summarized this quite well. He said a uh, lot of the movie feels like a bunch of montages being edited together and there's no cohesive through line. And that's exactly how I felt uh, in Act 1 and 2. And in Act 3, actually, it felt like there is a very clear through line and actually it's the most interesting act because it's off, it's the most unexplored and oftentimes ignored history of what happened afterwards. Like, we just remember Oppenheimer as the person who invented the nuclear weapon, the nuclear bomb, but we don't actually know his treatment about what happened to him as a person, as a scientist, after the invention. So I thought that was the most interesting act. And that act was very well put together, with very, very um, high levels of tension between all the characters, and the music just keeps you on edge the whole time. I, in my review, I compared the music to Dunkirk. Uh, in Dunkirk, there's sort of like a little bit of countdown sound being mixed into the music. That's, I got a similar vibe with the music in this movie as well. So, um, I gave it a 4 out of 5. I don't think this is Nolan's best film. I think uh, his other films are stronger than this. Just because like the overall package. I think Act 1 and 2 actually made this film significantly weaker than, um, uh, than if we just judge Act 3 by itself. But um, I would recommend this to everyone. I think this is a great film to watch. Wow, sure. those are some flaming hot takes. Those are yeah. some hot takes that I will yeah. say for my review, I do disagree with. I think that... Let's uh, hear it. Uh, so, I mean, we'll get into this, but the thing about, like, the... Specifically the way the the race is treated, the nuclear arms race... Well, not nuclear arms race, but, the like, the invention of the nuke is treated in Act 2. I actually think they do an incredibly clever thing here, which I, I love... I, and I think it ties directly into what you're saying about it being lacking tension. I actually think it's, like, really smart what they do, but we'll get into that. Um, overall, uh, I think this movie is very well written. I think that um, it is 
similar to like a lot of Nolan movies in a way that like I feel like he often has this kind of like rapid pace where he's like he's throwing a lot of things at you and some of it is just gonna go right by and I feel like that's that's what's happening here I think a little bit but I actually don't think it's that big of a deal I agree this movie has like a thunderous pace and I actually really love that about it I do somewhat agree with the point of there are some moments that I wish would breathe more but it's few I'll be honest like it's I actually overall think again it thematically ties into to the character of Oppenheimer because so much of the movie is from his subjective experience and it's like his recollection of the events and I actually think it's I think therefore the editing is actually very masterful in a lot of ways in in depicting the way that he was experiencing these things and how he got to the point he got to. I think the editing is very key there. At the same time, there are some moments that I do wish just stretched a little bit more. But I would honestly add a maximum of like 10 minutes to this movie. If if like that was my thing. Um, I have a little bit of a problem with Act 3 where I don't think it's weak at all. Like I think it's still an engaging story, but I think it just gets to a point... It's just early on in it it's not clear why we're still going i think like it's just kind of like okay what's going on here like we just we built up to all this stuff and then like what's yeah what is happening for the rest of the movie but i i quickly that feeling was quickly dispelled um i was actually very hooked right from act one like the imagery that's used the cutting the way the way we are introduced to oppenheimer I think is very, very powerful. I love the, like, practical effects that they were using of just, like, of matter and the universe and stuff and the flitting images that we see going by. Uh, Yeah, I think that this is, like, there's some legitimately incredible filmmaking in this that, like, I think really stands out, especially in Nolan's catalog, where I think some of his movies tend to have a bit of sameness, and I actually think that he's doing a lot of different things here that are really interesting. Uh, This is four and a half for me i think this is a four and a half star movie for me i definitely recommend this i think this is a three-hour movie that at no point is boring and that's like a pretty like that's not easy to do like even movies i love that are long sometimes i'm like okay okay let's get going here and i didn't really feel that in this movie uh so yeah i really like this one yeah just even like talking about it i've been like i've been thinking man i kind of want to go back i want to go watch it yeah i kind of want to go see it again yeah uh, <clears throat> so now that we've got our non-spoiler reviews out of the way, uh, is of course, uh, spoiler warning time. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, I have to summarize this shit. You do. That is our next segment. Okay. Aiden will have to summarize the three hour movie in two minutes so that anyone who hasn't seen it and is listening foolishly, I might say, is caught up. Yeah. Uh, I will set a timer. Okay, I will admit right now I am going to cheat a little bit and sometimes refer to the Wikipedia article if I get lost. Oh man, are we allowed to do that? I think it's more fun when we're flying blind. Uh, okay, I feel like that's we've fair. I feel like we've that's shot fair. that down before. You have I've to definitely fly blind before, and... but whatever. Okay. okay, ready? I got a okay. timer. Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, so we start off with a young Oppenheimer studying in Europe, uh, in Britain specifically, um, and he meets a couple important people. He meets Niels Bohr, and he meets uh, Heisenberg, who winds up being the Nazi scientist who's working on uh, uh, the nukes. Um, he's homesick, and he tries to kill his professor with cyanide and an apple, but he's like, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that, and stops that from happening. 
Um, fuck. Yeah. Okay. So he's like homesick and he's like sad and he's like struggling with like, uh, he, he's like, obs- he has these like obsessive visions of like matter in the universe. And he, he's clearly like obsessed with the idea of like getting to whatever. Uh, so we're moving on and he is working, he's back in America and he's working in Berkeley. Uh, he goes to communist, uh, settings and communist parties, but he is not outright a communist. Um, he meets a communist woman with whom he has a relationship throughout the movie. Um, that's Florence Pugh. Uh, he, as time goes on, they start talking about making nukes and eventually Matt Damon's character, who is a general, invites Oppenheimer to be the lead of the Manhattan Project to develop the nuke, despite communist, uh, leanings or whatever. Like, that's a big part of it. Um, and so, like, they get to work, they build Los Alamos, they build a town out in the desert, they're working on it for a long time, there's various questions about, like, uh, the Nazis have a lead on them, there's questions about, uh, secure, the problems of security, like, they don't want secrets to get to the Soviets, uh, so basically, we get to the point where we do the Trinity test, uh, where they drop a nuke test in the desert, and it's crazy, it works really well, and then pretty immediately after, they're talking about, uh, the war has ended, and we kind of glaze over the fact that Hitler has died, like, where the war is almost ended, and Japan's holding out, and so they talk about where they're going to drop it on Japan, they drop the news on Japan, the rest of the film kind of follows, um, the aftermath of this, uh, there's a senator who is being, about to be voted into the cabinet, but Rami Malek's character exposes the senator for coming after Oppenheimer for supposed communist leanings and trying to destroy his character, and in the end, Oppenheimer reminisces on how he thinks he destroyed the world because of, uh, nukes. And Albert Einstein is there, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just fill in the bit about RDJ's character. Yeah, I realized, uh, I realized it wasn't until, I, like, 15 seconds left where I was like, I have not mentioned him yet, have I? So he's, he's <laughs> there from the beginning in kind of like a bookmark, or um, it's a framing device. So Oppenheimer yeah. is re in, in a ploy created by Robert Downey Jr.'s character to kind of silence him. He's renewing his security clearance in a kangaroo court style thing where he's denied, a, uh, you know, all the things he's usually allowed in a court type situation because it's, it's not a real court. So his lawyer doesn't get all the, the evidence, for example, and he's just trying to defend himself against uh, people who are asking him to recollect the events. And that's why we're seeing the movie, basically. Um, yeah. And RDJ is chasing him down because he thinks it will get him elected or something because well, he no, knows it's that also he has a personal grudge against Oppenheimer because he thinks Oppenheimer yeah. turned the scientific community against him as well yeah and part of the thing is he's worried that whether he gets the support of the scientific community or not will impact if he's elected or if he's accepted into the congress and um, so he's decided that by outing Oppenheimer and like making him leave the scientific community then maybe he would still be embraced by them and that turns out not to be the case and he gets fucked um also Oppenheimer marries a new woman at one point that's true Emily Blunt he does he marries a married woman um mm. Well, she's, she's not married. married when he marries her. That's true, <laughs> but, but yes. they they divorce she oh, gets and, divorced as a result of them. Yeah. And Florence Pugh uh kills herself at one point yeah um well there's also um Oppenheimer's just com- i guess uh opposition of the uh building of the h bomb program hydrogen right. bomb that's the other thing yeah um, that's and also thing, the yeah. 
he thinks it's important to put a cap on nuclear weapons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he he feels after after the bombings of <clears throat> Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he feels immense guilt, and he tries to limit the amount of nuclear we- weapons there are in the world and their continued development. So he doesn't want, for example, a super bomb, the H bomb or whatever, to uh, to happen. So yeah. I think we got most of it. Anyways, yeah. time time to discuss. Uh, first right question, as always, favorite part. Do we have some? Uh, I, have I have one off the yeah. dome that oh, I, I got one. Okay, that I should really it. love. So this is after uh, the bombs been dropped on both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, and basically Oppenheimer is in Los Alamos still, and he's talking to this group of people. And he's just kind of like, he's just kind of saying, he doesn't know what to say. And so he's just kind of saying these hollow phrases of like, we won the war and stuff like that. And like, now they know what hit him. And it's just like, it's like it. And then like met with like thunderous applause from the crowd. Um, And I think that like, what I love about this scene is it turns into this like really absurd sequence where, well, like absurd and like very surrealistic. Um, where, like, the lights get super bright as if the nuke has flashed in the room and we see, like, faces melt off of the audience members. And what I love most about the scene is that uh, the shots on Oppenheimer, there's it's, like, shaking. Like, it's, like, the world around him yeah. is shaking and has been shook. And what I love about that is that from the beginning of the movie, he has this obsession with matter and this obsession with, like, like everything. It, it has this reducible like strange quality like he talks about how uh we're we perceive things as solid but we are actually more space than we are solid particles and so he's it's this obsession with like with the world itself and like what it could be and the realization of like all of this could change and then what i love about the scene is like it has like he has changed everything he has shook the world and now it's like like but it's a horrific thing for him now and i I think the, like the cinematography is really great. There's a moment where he walks through the crowd and we see like he looks his face looks like a skull just because of the lighting. Like he just looks gaunt. I like that he he goes outside and he sees like people that were working on the project throwing up, and it's just like it's such a good way of depicting like the horror of he. Fi- we can get into another thing, but it's like much like the showing of the bomb. Like he doesn't feel the impact until after it's happened. Like I, what I love about this movie is that he straight up was not thinking about the impact this would have until after it happened. And I think that that's explored really well. Um, and that's why I like this scene a lot. Yeah. And I, I think what's crazy about this scene is um, like the way the audio is like the way they played around with the audio in that scene. Like it's almost like the, it's bunch of, it's like the entire, um, what was it? I think I guess they're in a sports stadium, basketball court. Like they're all bleachers, and uh, yeah. they're all stamping their feet. And when that's happening, like the sound, which is you, which is usually associated with excitement and all of that, but when placed under the setting and when you're viewing this through Oppenheimer's subjective lens, it's almost horrifying because it's like, it's like the people are cheering, but they are actually they don't really realize what actually happened. You know what I mean? Like. Um, like I think like amongst the people in the room, like even though they're physicists and everything, uh, like I think he sort of realizes like the horrific thing that they've just done to innocent people, and 
like we see like we obviously see that manifesting visually through uh, what, what will happen if a nuke has dropped on them right now and radiation heat people melting up people throwing up but like the sound as well like something that is supposedly having a positive co- uh, connotation in you know cheering on Oppenheimer and celebration of the completion of the Manhattan Project has turned into something horrific and terrifying. So I thought that was just really cool. The with the way the movie um, invites you to question uh, the necessity of the of the dropping of the bomb, invention of the bomb, and also the impact of the bomb. It's really cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I like the. How he's he's delivering the speech, but from the the beginning, even it's clear that his heart is not in it, and he's actually feeling very guilty and probably some anxiety in there too. And the sound design of that scene is just so strong. The sound just like not even cuts out, but it's like like for example, when everyone stands up from their bleachers, it's not silent. It's very like it's a it's a sound that is similar like i think it's a bunch of people standing up from folding chairs or like like a couple of chairs so it's it doesn't match but it's not silent i just thought that was like really cool and he's he's his face and his is his um delivery of these lines of like man i wish the germans hadn't given up yet so we could have dropped the nuke on them like he's like giving these yeah. lines but like it's so clear from the the visuals that he's how he's actually feeling that subjective lens you you mentioned Peter, and um, yeah some of the other things that happen in that scene are just quite chilling. He steps on a body that's been burnt to a crisp, and his foot just goes right through it. There's I like the bit where they've in in the same vein of the sound design, in someone is like cheering or something, but they instead put the sound of someone screaming. And I like that all of these choices also, I can just totally see, and I, and I feel like I'm thinking of other movies I've seen recently, of like people doing this idea badly. Of yes. like, yeah. of like, like, oh, it's not what you really think. And uh, the one that's coming to mind is another Florence Pugh movie, Don't Worry Darling, I feel like is the kind of energy a bad version of this would have. Where, yeah. y- but, I don't know what it what the bad version would be, but for this, what works is like we've just fully bought into the sincerity of it, and like they're just, it's just so real, and the emotions of it are real, and it works. It just works. Uh, so I I do think that is a really fantastic scene in this movie. I also think it's set up really well, building on one of the, uh-huh. one, what you're saying. Like I think that's another reason why it works really well. There's a line earlier in the film where I think it's the. Uh, oh, what's the name of Safdie's character? The Safdie brother? Uh, Teller. Teller. Teller, yeah. yeah. Um, where Teller, I think it's Teller who says, like, you're barely a scientist anymore. You're, like, a politician Politician, now. yeah. And I think, like, so what I really like about the scene is that we hear the sound of the feet in the bleachers multiple times before this in the movie, and we don't know what it is. It's just, like, a sound that he's hearing. And so clearly, like, this was, it sets up the idea that this was a turning point for him in his recollection of events this was a huge moment and i think what it makes clear is that this is the moment he realized that he was the father of the atomic bomb like this is the this is when it this is when it occurred to him that like he is this like celebritized figure 
for this thing. And so he's saying all these hollow phrases that are met with uproarious applause. And, like, he's now realizing the weight of it where, like, in his mind, it's about, like, him and his character now. And another th- clever thing, this is a bit of a side note, but as the movie goes on, I think it's also questioning that mentality of, like, he is a little bit self-focused, even though, like, how many different things went on, like, but he's very concerned about his role in particular in it, which is fair, but then it's also, it's criticizing that and it's criticizing his ego in, in different ways, I think, which is interesting. That's a bit of a side point. But yeah, I love the way that the sound builds up. We hear the bleachers coming up and it's like this moment was like more horrible to him than like dropping the bomb. Like it's given more significance than than Hitler dying. It's given more significance than the moment we learn the bombs actually dropped in Japan, it's given more significance, I would, I would argue, than maybe equal to the Trinity test. And, like, so this was, like, a huge moment in his memory, and I think that's great. Yeah, I was, I was going to talk about something else, but I want to respond to the last thing you just said, which is the framing of events and which events are chosen to be depicted. Yeah. It's very clearly centered on character instead of historical events. Now I'm thinking of Churchill... And how a movie like that would be like, and then, actually, I don't even know if that's true, but like, a, a worse movie would be like, would, mean, would is show. Like the darkest hour? Like the, yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Gary the darkest Olden, hour. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if this is, that's true of that movie, but like, I'm thinking of a worse version of Oppenheimer would show Nagasaki and Hiroshima, right? Or like, yeah. that would be what they lead, lead up to. The Trinity test being the culmination of, or maybe even the bleacher scene being the culmination of act yeah. two is so smart and how it's, it's all framed through Oppenheimer um, or Strauss, I guess is also a, a framing yeah. character, but, but he's also um, the like objective when we're seeing him, yes. it's often in like the objective lens. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all like, so yeah, all the, all the, all the moments are through the lens of character. And I, I think that's a really good choice. The other thing I was going to mention is how much this movie just reminded me of Hamilton for some reason, the musical. Oh, really? um, it's like this person with ambition who doesn't like, I guess what Hamilton's doing isn't bad, but like it's the ego kind of gets in the way and he's just so driven that he doesn't realize what's going on around him. He gets enemies. He builds enemies cause he's callous and like, isn't, isn't careful with himself He's becoming more and more of a politician and it all comes back to bite him when those enemies he's created uh, decide to take a bite. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think I think the, the general arc of the character being someone who's like a theorist to someone who's just like amassing power and becomes more of a politician instead of a scientist, that's just like, that's super interesting. Yeah, and I, well, I don't know, like, I think it's probably a good time I need to get into this now, because we're kind of there, but I was going to talk about, like, just the character of Oppenheimer a little bit, and so what I love is that he's has this obsession with, like, abstract thought and theory, like, that's what, he's thinking about, like, what things could be all the time, and it's always existing in this hypothetical mind space, and he's, he's often not, like, feeling in the moment, and that's, what I think is really significant is that, like, that's what Florence Pugh's character does, is that, like, she makes him just, like, like feel what he's doing and, like, grounds him a little bit. And so when she dies, that's, like, 
even one more level of removal of that and i think throughout this movie we see him move into this more and more theoretical abstract space to the point where even the people that this bomb is going to be used against just become abstract and they don't exist to him anymore and so and i think that that works in tandem with the bolstering of his ego how everyone he talks to and every his relationships and his and the institutions he engages with treat him like he's a genius and they encourage this kind of individualized and egoistic uh, behavior and like how that all culminates in him like like creating this insane thing without ever really thinking about like what the effects are going to be like not really especially as it goes on and i think that that's one of my favorite things about this movie is that i i don't want to see a nolan movie that's like trying really hard to get into the specific politics of it because i just don't think he's i don't think he's the best filmmaker equipped to get into that but what he does when he does do it in this movie i actually think it's really well done and i and i think it's really clever that it's it's framed in a man who just who to him people and human lives and humanity just become hypothetical and they just become abstract to him and they become theory and everything becomes theory and it's just about like what is possible and it brings into question like what is the point of progress is is any of this progress what's happening um yeah but peter i'll pass it off but but um maybe not as extreme as the way you describe it like him abstracting the cost of human lives and everything um because of he's so focused on theory and what things could have been but i do think the movie did do a very good job to invite us um to view things from Oppenheimer's perspective and so to follow him while his doubt and suspicions grows on whether this bomb was necessary like it really did a uh, fantastic job inviting us to question the necessity of the invention and the dropping of this nu- nuclear okay. weapon um and I, and i think like what i think is so cool about this movie is um like initially it is justified because if we don't drop it nazis would drop it and then and then this progressed into sort of like okay hitler has has committed suicide we're not fighting against the nazis anymore um now we're dropping it so we can end the war early and then eventually at the very final court hearing there and i think that that was one of the brilliant most brilliant scenes in the entire film where it's Oppenheimer question about the when did he start developing like moral sympathy for the victims of the uh nuclear yeah. weapon and it was like asked in repeated session would would you be okay dropping an h bomb round would you be okay dropping it so like you it, you really see this sort of like like i guess like like you see this sort of desperation of him trying to justify what he's done is justified and also um is is uh, is necessary as well but you can really see him struggle as the movie goes on to sort of like justify his invention over time which it's it's interesting because um that sort of uh, is the complete opposite of the ego art where he you know uh, he wants to build this weapon uh, and uh, to because of his ego because uh, uh, but then but then as this or art progresses there's also a self doubt developing at the same time yeah and i think like building on what you're saying one of the things that i really love is that the justifications it offers early on fall to the wayside as the movie oh, yes. goes on so like so like he, he Oppenheimer is Jewish, but they make a really good job of pointing out that he doesn't like of his distance 
from his Jewish heritage because like he he doesn't speak Yiddish like at all, but he taught himself to read Sanskrit and he, he learns all these languages. And so like it's it's dealing with this complicated thing where I, it's not that I don't believe him when he says that he feels like, well, my people are dying as a result of this. I think that there's sincerity to that for sure. But I also think that's not really why he's doing it. And I think that that's exemplified by it. Like you said, the way we find out Hitler is dead and that's over is just like, it's just like in passing. Like, it's just barely a moment that we just flit over. Because it's like in his mind, that didn't really matter. Because it was never really about that. And that that's, again, like we've, we've said it a bunch of times. That's what I love the, the subjective lens of this movie is, is such a strength of it. And what's interesting is other events that are depicted more importantly, like... The one, the one that I can think of is like the war starting is more prominently like that happened, and that's when it's, I think it's the same time they released their paper or something. Like because it conflicts so. directly with what yeah. Oppenheimer was doing, that's why it's a big moment. It's like that should have been our big. It's because it stole. It stole the spotlight. Yeah, it stole the spotlight. Um, and I think also what Peter said about how ego and self doubt are the kind of opposing arcs that he moves through. I think those are those are tied, right? The bigger the ego gets, the greater the self-doubt because you you part of you does not truly believe that what the ego is saying. Um, but I th- so yeah, this started out as like a, a very different point. Back to favorite parts, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'll do a favorite part and then I'll toss one to Peter if he has one. Um, there, one of the earliest scenes, I'd say, is a, a good favorite part of mine. <clears throat> he tries to uh, poison his tutor. That surprised me. That was a very yeah. early scene. I was like, this <clears throat> immediately tells me so much about his character and makes him um, like a, a, a morally dubious character, <clears throat> which is something that I feel like we sometimes lack in movies nowadays. And every time I see a character who is flawed and who does bad, unforgivable things. It's very exciting to me. And I, like, I mean, that's what the entire movie Oppenheimer is, is a flawed character doing unforgivable things. But it's almost, it's almost worse that he tried to poison his tutor in a way. It's sure. so personal and like, like that, was, that was letting his emotions getting the better of him. And he was going to like, directly kill another human being and i mean the bomb killed more people obviously but like i just so so that scene and and then the tension of that later when boar is like waving around the apple and and you're like oh is he gonna bite it is he gonna bite it is he gonna kill neil's boar um and (laughs) i don't um, remember that happening (laughs) uh and then also just like he puts the apple down on the desk and like a little droplet of cyanide yeah. rolls down the side, and I was like, yeah. "Cinema, this is this is why I go to the movies. See yeah. cyanide drip down an apple." I have I have a few quick points to build off. Of. Yeah, the quick one I want to say is that like one of the things that I think is really impressive about this movie, we know exactly what's gonna. Well, maybe not exactly. We know what's generally gonna happen, um, but yeah. like it's still very tense. Like we, 
I know that Oppenheimer didn't kill Niels Bohr, but that was still a very uh, tense uh, scene. I didn't oh, know yes. that. Maybe he did. I, I was I was like, I'm pretty sure I'd know that if that had happened. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, but yeah, what I like, I like what, what you said about it being like a more emotionally charged thing. And I think that it's interesting tying into um, what he was talking about. He says, oh, I was emotionally immature when I was living in Europe and when I was studying. And I, I almost think... It's like this was a time where he acted on his emotions like he felt bad and he felt slighted and he just acted on that. Um, and I think it's like the lesson he learned was to just move away from his emotions and not feel anything. And I think that's cool. But then at the same time, I think this all the scene also shows how detached he is from other people. Like he just in like he just he's a character that just lives in his head. And so in his head, he just, he got mad and it built up and it built up. And he thought about like, well, this is something I could do. I could, I could poison him. I could kill him. And he just didn't, it's again, it's mirrors what happens later. He just didn't consider like what would happen until after he'd already done it. And then it's, then he has to go in and do it. And so I, I think it's a really great character defining moment as well. Yeah. And the idea of like, like another arc for Oppenheimer throughout the course of the movie is like him becoming dead inside, essentially. Yeah. Um, how like you said he's emotionally immature is his choice of words but i think more accurately he still has emotions and yeah. he still like like sure he doesn't know how to control them and it's it's partly what you said about how he's more in his head than he is than like he doesn't realize the the consequences of his own actions but like i think that's greatly reflected in his two relationships he has in the movie is when he's with Florence Pugh that's a more emotionally charged mm -hmm. relationship uh, she she has some I think psychological issues I think that's mentioned in the movie yeah um, and his relationship with her he's like really trying to be a romantic he's like bringing her flowers and stuff and she's like shutting him down continually and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of or one of several factors that makes him like become more dead inside. And you compare that with how he interacts with Emily Blunt, which I think is a little more transactional and more so as the movie goes on. It's less spontaneous. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Like what you said, I think, I actually think, him his the the Florence Pugh relationship I think does make him more dead inside but I actually think I don't think it's because of her rejection of him because I actually think that 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 like excites him and ground him I think it's because she dies like because it's like yeah. from that point on the person who was emotionally grounding him is just gone and and what I think is great is that like Emily Blunt's character just says pull yourself together like because he's he's gone to this position where he in order to do what he is doing he can't feel like he just can't do it and so he, he has to be snapped out of it, and I think that it's a great moment. Also, I was just thinking about the, that relationship, how she, like, she needed him, and he did just, like... I just kept thinking about how, like, one could rationalize and be like, well, he's moved on, he's with Emily Blunt. Like, would it be bad for him to... I, I feel like she's kind of right. Like, if she needed him he did have not an obligation but like as someone who has cared for her and you know based on how he reacts to his death like still cared for her in some capacity i think it's interesting like that he did abandon her he didn't have yeah. to do that and 
his choice to focus himself away from emotion and onto the the project and his his new wife obviously but um i yeah how how that relationship ends is it's tragic um peter do you have a favorite part <laughs> yes uh, first i'll talk about like a funny part Oppenheimer right. has some riz <laughs> like the oh my god like the the conversation uh, I think the first time we see him and Kitty talking, Kitty's the Emily Bond's character, um, was uh, when Kitty is still married and actually like at her house, I'm pretty sure. And he's just like, you know, if matter, like something doesn't exist, my hand will pass right through it. But it does, so... <laughs> but, yeah. Too smooth. Too smooth. <laughs> but anyways, um, my, my, my favorite part is um, probably the Truman scene. I really, really like the Truman scene. So this is, uh, just for context, um, this is right after they've, uh, um, I think the war has concluded. So Oppenheimer is still a war hero at that point before like all the investigations stuff started coming out. And, um, and so he was uh, granted audience with uh, President Truman to uh, talk about nuclear weapon policies for the future. And he's there to lobby for uh, the the banning or the restriction of the use of nuclear weapons. And the fact that Truman is sitting in front of someone who basically like uh, single-handedly helped them to speed up the resolution of the war and still didn't really give much respect to his opinion, just like reflected um, some scientist words from early on where like now they need you. So like, so like they will, they, they will, they will respect you. They will uh, give you resources. But when they when they don't need you anymore, they will toss you aside. And that's just like an exact echoing of that. And it is so powerful because you're literally sitting in front of the father of the atomic bomb, the one of the most powerful weapon ever built. And Truman literally said, "He's a crybaby. Get him, get him out of here. Never let him come back again." And I think that is just like a powerful, powerful reminder both to Oppenheimer and the audience about his place in the entire um, in the entire situation to be honest uh, and also how like these politicians view scientists and the uh, progress and how they're viewed differently amongst the scientific community versus the political community really crazy in my opinion yeah i really like that scene because when it started and i was looking at truman i was like i know that guy that's <laughs> gary oldman like like a full minute to be like where is he? Where? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? And then from there to go, I know the person, but not the name. And then being like, he's a guy from Batman. He's he's James Gordon. He's uh, <laughs> Churchill. Uh, and then like eventually I got to I leaned over to who I was seeing with that. I was like, that's fucking Gary Oldman. <laughs> uh, he's he's almost as much as a chameleon as Christian Bale is. They no, just love throwing stuff on their face and putting on wigs and... i i think even even when he doesn't have prosthetics on i still think he he's a, a variety of different yeah. things you know? yeah i know yeah. I, I really like, like gary oldman okay, right. um but for that scene that was actually the other one i was considering for my favorite part as well um and that scene is awesome because it's introducing an idea that maybe there are other people who also feel guilty for what has happened and it's not like the world is on 
Oppenheimer's yeah. shoulders, but because of his ego, he can't yeah. see it any yeah. other way. It's always his involvement and not other people. And in in a way, what Truman says is completely accurate. He yeah. dropped it. He gave the order. And he's but he's also so cold and dead inside that he actually like makes fun of Oppenheimer for even having these feelings of remorse. And I just ah uh, the moment where he's taking out a tissue to be like like stop crying or oh it's blood on your hands. He says I feel, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And Truman treats this very literally and takes out his handkerchief to be like wipe your hands. But it's a white handkerchief. And he starts waving it around because, like, yeah. that's the the image of surrender, and yeah. yeah. So that's that's just like a really fantastic scene in a in a fantastic movie. And do you still? Have, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually gonna say like the same kind of thing where it's like it's still it's about him, and I like that like the blood is on my hands. Like it's an emphasis on him as well. Um, I really like. I think it's also a good like. I think this movie is very has a very clear stance on the dropping of the nukes and that it was pointless and bad. I think that the movie is clearly coming from that stance. Uh, and I, I like the way that the movie shows different levels of like the American government and how, um, just like, like an, an imperialist like view of, of what's going on here. There's a line I love at a different part of the movie, like where, um, one of the guys, when they're talking about where they should drop the bomb, one of the guys rules out Kyoto because he and his wife vacationed there. Like that—that is a well, great line. Like one that... of the like the funniest lines in the movie. I loved Oppenheimer moments where people like just laughed because yeah. certain moments, mo- not most of the movie, but like there's there's comedy in this movie. It's yeah. great. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty much it. But I just think that's a, that's a good indictment of american attitudes towards the rest of the world yeah i also like i think i think the idea of the the movie's about oppenheimer but oppenheimer is very an american character and i think i think what you're saying about like how it's an american imperialist view that's kind of oppenheimer's deal is thinking of yourself first and yeah I, I can't really explain how I don't know that much about imperialism to <laughs> sure, sure. transplant that on the Oppenheimer situation but I see I see his individ, individualistic kind of way of life is it's very American um, so let's move out of favorite part and we can talk about casting and, and the ensemble cast sure. uh, so this this movie as well as Barbie are quite renowned for their crazy casting and and uh asteroid city the three of them are yeah. the big summer blockbusters with big famous big casts. Cast. like almost every side character is like i know, oh, I know that guy and there, know that there are guy. multiple times where there are multiple times where a character is like being introduced and we haven't seen their face yet and i'm just like who's it gonna be who's it gonna be like with, <laughs> with the, the casey affleck jump scare yes like that yes. was crazy where i was like okay who is this like this is gonna who be is someone. It? And it's like holy shit <laughs> And he actually like yeah he's like, and he's like immediately like a monstrous person like you could just tell by mm. like it's a good performance like the the expression on his face as well as just the framing of it like yeah yeah and there's there's so many characters who are just like like people who ha- we haven't seen in a while so like Drake and is it Drake or is it Josh Josh it was Josh it's jo- Josh 
Good thing the other one isn't there. Yeah, good thing it's not the other one. So Josh Peck is in this one. Um, the Roderick from Roderick, Roderick Rules yeah. is in it. Whatever his real name is. Sorry, Roderick. I'll, I'll never look it up that way. What is Roderick Heffley? Actor Devin Bostick. Nice. Devin is in this. Um, it was good. He didn't do much. Jack Quaid is in this from the Jack boys. Jack Quaid is in this. Yeah, yes. that was crazy. Playing like, the bongos. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good at it. Sometimes I'm like, I, I see him and I'm like, I don't know if I buy it, but I liked but him in this. Let's be real. Cool. Like Jack Quaid's been playing the same character for a very yes. long time. <laughs> I think he was less of that character in yeah, this I agree. movie. Yes. Which is 100%. why which is why I was saying in this movie, I was a little more convinced of his acting ability. Because if you're just playing the same role over and over and again, yeah. then it's I don't know if you're acting so much as just doing your shtick, you know? Yeah. This proved to me that maybe he maybe he could act. Uh, I was no, I, I like Jack Wade though. Sorry. Um and because there were so many times where it's like famous actors popping up, I was like, okay, where is um Oh, what's his name? The, the old guy who's in every Michael Cade. I was like, where is like, oh, like, like, like? I was like, when is my? And when we got to Truman, I was like, okay, this is gonna be Michael Cade. Like, he's not sure. in his movie, right? He's, he's not retired. Yeah. He's retired. He's yeah. He's, uh, but I was still convinced. Yeah. Um, who else was in this though? There was someone else I had. Uh, the I, solo, I forgot Matt the Damon was gonna be in it. Oh yes, yeah. Well, Matt Damon's a big player in this movie, but yes, but I'd forgotten when, about that, yeah. when Alden Ehrenreich shows up almost immediately, I was like, "Hey, I know <laughs> Solo." Oh, and uh, and what's his name? The uh, the creepy guy in every uh, Denis movie. Yes, yeah, David yeah, yeah. Dismatch. Dismatch. Yes, yeah. yes. Also, the yes. creepy guy in every Nolan movie, or maybe not every Nolan. Movie, Is he? Some. He's in uh, Dark Knight. Uh, he's he's a creepy guy in Dark Knight. But that might it? be the only one. Yeah, he's oh, in one yes, of the, yes. He's in one yes. of the Batman movies. It's just like yeah, a creepy I forgot guy. about that. Because he's yeah. in every DC movie. He's almost yeah. the same lead <laughs> yeah. of just being like, I'll be everyone. Um, yeah. Some other ones we missed. Rami Malek is in this. Kenneth Branagh oh, yeah. as Niels Bohr is so Oh, funny. yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's so funny to me. The, um, when sorry. He, no, sorry, just wait. When, when Niels Bohr just shows up and they're like, hey, it's Niels Bohr, and everyone's applauding him, I'm like, oh, we're applauding Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, great. what were you going to say, Peter? There's, um, I don't know if you remember, Alex, but uh, you know, remember Army of the Dead? The the thief character? Yeah. Uh, Matthias, mm-hmm. I think his name? Yeah. He's, He's playing uh, Heisenberg. That's why I thought yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. was him. Yeah. Um, also, whenever they said Heisenberg, I just thought of Breaking yeah. Bad. <laughs> when I said it earlier this episode, I was like, is that the right name or am I just thinking of Breaking Bad? Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you had your hand up, though. What were you going to say? Yeah, what was I going to say? That's a good question. I'm forgetting now. Uh, something to do with casting. Emily well, Blunt. I, I've got Emily. more. Well, yeah, yeah Emily it. Blunt's a main character. Um, yeah. Benny Safdie is <laughs> yeah, playing the, that Russian character that's so yeah. funny. That's another one that was just like, every time I saw him, I was like, dude, you are an American and you are doing a silly voice right now. Like, Oh, really? I uh, bought dude, it. what's up really with like the eyeshadow, though? I'm just like, oh my God, like, what's up with the heavy eyeshadow? I, when he first showed up, he was, um, he was like, very. was he wet? Was he wet on purpose? I thought, I thought, yeah. I, I, I don't know what happened, but the first the first time he showed up, I thought he was like in a downpour. But mm. I liked him. I liked him. I I, I do yeah. think Benny Safdie is a good actor. Yeah, Teller was a great also character. being a, a director. Um, but it was the voice thing. I was just like, I know you're American. Uh, we also have 
Dane DeHaan, who was oh yeah, Spider-Man's that was yeah. Green Goblin. Yeah. Um, there's more, but I haven't found yet. Uh, other people who you just like character actors who you would recognize. David oh, Crumholtz is a name I know, but he was the the friend, Jewish friend of uh, Oppenheimer, oh, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, so the thing I was going to say is, like, tied to cast, but it's not, like, directly. I just like that there are multiple times where there's, like, an Avengers moment for just a historical figure. Yes, like, I love, yes. I love, I love when they say, like, yeah, there was this one senator who was trying to make a name for himself, and yeah. he locked it. And it's like, like, what was his Kennedy. name? John Frank Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also love when the taxi goes away and Einstein is behind the taxi. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's not the reveal of the, like, we've seen that character multiple times by that point, yeah. but it's also just like, why the fuck is he there? Like, it's such a bizarre look. <laughs> every, I was, I was saying the same thing. Uh, every time Eisen, Eisen, Einstein, Einstein. I, I yeah. kept saying Eisenstein, every time Einstein so. shows up, it felt like an Avengers moment. Like, that's yeah. the Stan Lee cameo. It doesn't yeah. feel real. <laughs> And it's because he's just like a, such a renowned historical figure who mm. does not make appearances in movies yeah. ever, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, every scene, uh, he, he, just a hoot for me. Um, yeah. Oh, but the but the J, I think the JFK the JFK one, one was, was so funny. That, that was, was that was that was actually a ham-fisted moment of yeah. just being like, <laughs> by the way, yeah, did you yeah. know? Because I was I was saying this to someone. The Kennedy family is a famous, rich, powerful family. Yeah. And to be like, yeah, some weird <laughs> junior up and cover yeah, yeah, yeah. John F. Kennedy? Who <laughs> even is that? Like, that's that's kind of a naive way of looking at yeah. that. Like, like, I'm not the historical expert here, but from what I know, I think that would be odd to be like, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I think it's cool they uh, introduced Kennedy, though, because... Um, uh, I actually did for the a little sequel? bit. <laughs> I actually did. Just uh, name drop him now. I did a little bit of digging around uh, the actually historical, uh, the 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 actually the real history behind the movie, and it's actually really cool because um, Oppenheimer's nuclear policies, like about restricting the usage and also the uh, the manufacturing of nuclear weapons, was not received very well, both in the Truman administration and I think the president after that. But uh, when Kennedy became the president, he actually uh, accepted a lot of Oppenheimer's suggestions and actually uh, yeah. used them to uh, basically plan out the future of the nuclear policies. It was kind of cool. That cool. I actually like to not actually dismiss your point. I I do think I actually am interested in reading the book. This is based on. Uh, oh yeah i think the book is probably much like the movie can only go so far obviously uh well no no i'm not blaming it for that i just think like the story sounds cool so like oh yeah of course as a a three-hour trailer for that book i'm gonna read the book (laughs) three hour Um, trailer yeah but uh before before we talk about three-hour trailer actually i do want to say also there's a moment where (laughs) there's another avengers moment but it's not a cameo or uh, a, like a, a reference it's yeah. a suit up moment where Oppenheimer yeah. <laughs> has the hat and, a, and I think a pipe on a table yeah. and it's very clearly like donning the suit I am yeah. <laughs> the hat man you yeah. know? <laughs> I am now yeah. J. Robert Oppenheimer yeah yeah it's uh, that was a great moment um, but I will talk about three hour trailer 
So I mentioned this in my non-spoiler review, but early on in the movie, the scenes move a, a very rapid pace. Now, in, I do think you had a good point about how that's not necessarily a bad thing. It might even be on purpose because he is yeah. recollecting these events and that's how we're perceiving them. So it's glossed yeah. over. The older it is, the more faded the memory and only certain, yeah. the most important bits stand out. Um, I do think... For my point, and I'll, I'll have to do some soul searching on how I feel about what you said, but for to just add some more points to, to mine, um, I do think that in in tandem between the pacing and the music specifically, I think the music is almost nonstop in this movie, with a few key exceptions. Um, it does feel very like montagey, which is what Ryan, uh, former guest of the, of the show, show. Has, has said, friend of the show. Um, it's it feels very montagey for a good forty five minutes to an hour, of every scene is quite rapidly paced and it's it's efficient and I hate a, a historical movie that gets bogged down and takes too long so I will say for three hours this went very briskly by, uh, but I mean I also like sitting in moments so um, sure. it's it's a very difficult balance when you're dealing with such a, an immense story. Uh, and trying to fit that in, do you focus on smaller moments, extend those, and cut large portions, or do you try to get through everything and kind of gloss over? That's kind of always the challenge with these larger stories. And I think I think Nolan hits a very very close to to what the ideal is. I think of finding the, the important character moments along the way uh, so that he can get through the whole material, but also um, make it feel like a real story, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I th- I'll build on that. Like, I... Yeah, I think this is somewhat just, like, a, of a subjective thing where it's, like, I definitely see where you're coming from and I would have liked a little bit more breathing room for some of it. But yeah, like like you were saying, I think the editing is very intentional and I think it works really well. Not only that are they older faded memories, I also think it ties in really well to the idea of like from his perspective it all snowballed so fast. Like before mm-hmm. before he even got a chance to think about it, like this happened and this happened and it just built so quickly to the point where like before you know it he's at Los Alamos and he's running the entire thing. Like and so I I think that that's a really clever um uh, a really clever function of the editing there i was gonna say something else but this is i guess this is my forgetting episode where i have i had another point but i don't remember what it is so cool if if you remember we can uh cut back to actually yeah. peter you you briefly mentioned that that in your uh non-spoiler review do you want to touch on that again at all yeah so i just think um it does a really good job of sort of giving us the background information on Oppenheimer in a very efficient manner, but that also sort of is at the cost of us having a weaker connection with Oppenheimer as a character. Like, I felt like my empathy towards Oppenheimer really started building towards the second half of the film. The first half, it was very much just like, here are some of the facts you need to know, and then to prep us for the second half. So, I mean, not a huge fan of that, but, like, also, I understand that it is a huge amount of material. And also, the way Nolan sort of introduces so many characters at the same time. Not really a flaw, to be honest, because um, the characters, usually, you can identify who's who based on 
the way the uh, the theories that they support or the sides they're on very easily. So that's not really necessary a flaw. But um, it is a very very dense movie. I would say that for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember what I was going to say, and I was going to... Well, actually, first I want to touch on... Um, I actually felt empathy for Oppenheimer, like, immediately in this movie. And it's just the yeah. stuff where he is just in his bedroom alone in uh, in Europe, in, in Britain, when he's studying. And we just see his mental process, like, reflected. Like, we see him tormented by this vision of, like, of the makeup of our universe. Like, and it's like this existential crisis i think he's clearly having right from the beginning where it's like i think it ties into the ideas he's like we could i could pass right through you like if things were a little different and it's like this idea of like everything could unravel and the universe is set in stone like i love there's one scene where he just he throws a ball at the wall and it bounces off to him and then he throws a glass at it and like i just like love that idea of like just getting to like this obsession with matter and like what comprises our universe and then, so I actually felt empathy for him immediately. I actually almost cried in the beginning 10 minutes of this movie. Because I actually, it was just like a very like visceral reaction to um, just introducing the character to us. Uh, I was going to compare this to Elvis, uh, which I think mm. is a movie that tries to cover a lot and similarly is just flicking through it. But that movie feels pointless. And it feels mm-hmm. like everything, we're just showing things because they happened. And like, and literally... It also has to do with the individual editing of the scene because while scenes go by fast, we see enough of the characters and we rest on them and the moments of where we see the, in which we see the characters very well chosen. And so we get to see the right reactions, we get to see the right thoughts, right thoughts represented on people's faces as opposed to Elvis where I didn't I felt completely detached from Elvis until the last 20 minutes of that movie or so. And I think that's because like we're not seeing him in this, but because it's so heavily focused on Oppenheimer, like I would love to see a breakdown of how many shots Oppenheimer's face is in. Cause I bet it's like a huge percentage. I bet it's like the majority of shots in this movie. And I think that that's a really important thing. And that, so I felt very connected to him from the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think part of that is because what Peter said is, is it's, you have a lot of facts to remember. And I think that's not true. I think Every part of this movie, including the beginning, it's delivering character history. And there's an important distinction because facts are cold and hard, like a future Oppenheimer. But the, it's, the, it's the emotional moments that are actually being shown, right? So there's the moments of um, him in bed, like like Aiden said, uh, kind of daydreaming about the universe. That's, that, that, that's an emotional moment. There's him trying to poison his tutor. There's the uh, uh, the moment on the train where he's not eating and yeah. he's making a new friend who's like, you should eat some orange slices. Like, that's not a fact. That's telling us about character and character relationships. And that's that's how empathy builds, is showing these character moments. Yeah. Um, but I think what Aiden said about Elvis is actually, like, that is the anti-Oppenheimer. That's a really great example of, modern biopic which you know we've had a lot of disdain for specifically hollywood seems to be obsessed with musicians so i guess oppenheimer was always going to be different from that but in terms of biopics generally i think oppenheimer is probably one of the best out there um and yeah just think about other connections between elvis and oppenheimer like using framing devices 
to examples of good and bad. Yeah, another how, character who backstabbed him. For, yes, for exactly. Yeah, uh, the evil character being the framing device, um, and very long movies. Mm, I don't know what else. Same time period. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can we can find all the the connections later, but uh, yeah. I think I think it's interesting to to compare and tr- contrast. I guess. Um, Another technical element, sound. So we talked about some really great sound design. I do, this is kind of a smaller point, but uh, it's giving Tenet a little bit. I did not hear (laughs) a lot of the words that were going on. I think there's some sound mix issues Nolan has to work through. Uh, Just like muddy dialogue that you're like, what did did they say? Almost echoey in a way or like there's too much reverb where i'm not it's not crisp and clear sure weird stuff what I, is he doing? I i actually will say though i felt that a little bit in the beginning but i actually thought that it was fine again because no one's response to that is always like he's always like oh well don't think just feel and like, you don't <laughs> and he always says just that and he's like it. yeah and he says like oh you don't need to catch every line of dialogue and in a movie like tenet i'm like that's dumb. I do need to catch the <laughs> yeah. dialogue. I do need to know what's going on to care at all about what's happening. But in this movie, I actually think that a lot of the specific words being said are not super important. You don't mm-hmm. need you you actually don't need to understand fully every single line of dialogue. Um so I actually thought it worked really well for me in this movie, sometimes bordering on like, okay, let's reel it back a little. I think <laughs> I think it's a case of like the voices sometimes have a lot of bass, but then the music is mm, a lot of yeah. bass too. So it's just That's it. it's just bass on bass, and it's just like <laughs> bass. Oh, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, yeah. It just blends together. It was uh, sorry. Uh, it's it's really in the first five minutes when yeah. you're like I'm lot like in every movie you need kind of hand holding at the beginning to to introduce you to the world and yeah, especially in Oppenheimer where we're in history. And there's a lot of just like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? What's who the hell is Strauss? I don't know who this man is. And no, I was I was lost for a good five minutes until I, I was will, like, okay, it doesn't matter. We'll come back to it, you know. Sorry, sorry, sorry to cut you off again, Peter, really quick. But I will say, actually, in defense, I think sometimes it's actually really clever to just like the first twenty minutes of a movie is a time when you could conversely just throw shit at people and they'll just accept it more. Like you can't do that, that later in the movie. And so I actually yeah. think it works really well that they're introducing us to this chaotic thunderous pace that this movie has. And this like everything's coming at you super fast. I actually think it works really well that I think it's good that they do it that early. I want to talk about the actual sound though. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. The sound, uh, they use the, the soundtrack they use for this movie. Um, so they sort of have this iconic sound they're associating with like atoms interacting with each other or like stuff happening in the molecular space. But there's also sort of this classical music that they mix with it. So it's sort of like classical music mixed with synthetic sounds at the same time to represent like when Oppenheim is thinking, when uh, like scenes that are related to theoretical physics. And I just thought that's such a cool thing. Cause like, I think like theoretical physics has been a very classic field in the study of physics, 
and also it is sort of this blend together between classic theories and also modern thinking which is like you know this sort of blend between classical music and modern synth synth at the same time uh, and also it is sort of like this sort of elegant dance uh, of scientific thinking while Oppenheimer is sort of trying to visualize it you know of Adams interacting which is still represented by classical music and also synth music at the same time so I thought that's really cool I, I think I, I agree with you, and I think that it, it could also be seen as a model of um, looking at these sort of, like, hyper-optimistic um, scientific, like, ideas of, like, scientific rationalism, like, and, like, just scientific optimism in general of, like, because it's at once an old and new idea. It's a new idea in that, like, science can science can bring us to a new frontier, and it can bring us to a new world, and it can improve and... and uh, and uh, liberate us from the constraints of biology or whatever. Um, but then it's at once also, it's a very old idea because it's just like this deeply entrenched idea of, uh, it ties in with ideas of like American exceptionalism and like we can do anything and like we're gonna, like these idea of progress, like we're moving and we're moving in a progressive fashion. Like I think it is a marriage of, a marriage of new and old. And I, I agree with you that it's, it's well exemplified in the sound. One more thing I'll say about sound is the iconic Trinity test. Um, so my friend actually messaged me right before the podcast and uh, he said he got absolutely baited by the sound during the Trinity test. And uh, I'm just going to quote him here because I thought it's just really well put together. He was sitting in the front row, by the way. Big mistake. Don't ever Big mistake. Don't watch Oppenheimer in the front row. Uh, but <laughs> he said... So when the explosion happened, like when you see the visual stuff, like he's like, he's like prepping himself to be, you know, to be like surrounded, deafened by the sound of his explosion. And then he's waiting, he's waiting, and then it never came. And then just when he felt safe, that's when the blast hit him. And I just thought like, first of all, apparently that is very realistic because they're really far away from the, the yeah. site. The sound does travel a lot slower than light, which is the visual. Um, and also, it is just such a good way because, like, Nolan talks about the way, the why he wants to recreate Trinity Test using practical effect is that he wants you to feel horrified, and he said like CGI just can't make you feel that. And I think that, like, in sound, like visually, it is something like we've all seen Mushroom Cloud in like documentaries and stuff before. But I think that the sound part is what really shook us, uh, at least for me, at least. Um, and having that delayed and just when you feel safe, the sound hits you is such a clever way to sort of make audience feel uh, being in danger in, in type of way, in a way that uh, that the um, asynchronous sound and visual just cannot deliver. I thought that's really, really cool. Yeah. And I also what I like about it is that I think it models the way that the effects of what he did didn't ha didn't hit him until after the fact oh and yes I think that, like, that's a like, great interpretation yeah. when the right. when the sound hits him it's like that's a pivotal moment where it's like that's like an oh fuck moment where he realizes what's what he's done and what's happened at that point and so yeah no i think and then also touching on what you were saying um i like was so involved in this scene and so like not i was just very invested in what was happening that I was just completely caught off guard by the sound coming in. Like it just hit me really hard. Because yeah. often when I'm watch often when I'm watching a movie, I'm 
I have a certain level of detachment where I'm like, okay, well, they're doing this, and so this is probably going to go there. But I was actually just so invested in this scene that I wasn't thinking in that in that frame at all, and so it hit me really hard. <laughs> Silence, yeah. Transition time! Yeah. I can't find it. <laughs> Next segment. Well, I was looking Next up... I thought, I thought I heard... Something about how he put his hand over his eyes and he could see through it or something, but I can't find proof of that, so it's hearsay. Uh, oh. But that wasn't in the movie, so more proof that it could be hearsay. Uh, and then I got caught up in other things. Um, water. So uh, talk about more kind of like symbolism uh, in the same vein of like how things hit him later is this, this image of water. It opens the movie. Raindrops on a puddle. It closes the movie. And it's interspersed throughout. I love a good visual motif. And I, yeah. I think what that is, and it's, it's not super deep uh, water joke, I guess, but um, I think the yes. idea is like, what are the ripple water effects? <laughs> water oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Something. Yeah. It's, it's not super hard to come to that conclusion, uh, but it's also yeah. not like painstakingly obvious. So I, I found that really nice. I, I agree that it's that. I also think that there's something there about contrasting the water with fire the, that we see mm. later. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what to say about that, but I think it has to do with like preoccupation with matter and how I think he's kind of almost seeing those things as the same thing in a way. Like, not like they're not the same thing, but it's like everything is just everything is reducible and is simultaneously reducible and infinite and abstract. And so it's like like fire and water are like the same thing to him if that makes sense and then i, I think that yeah. like when he sees the explosion it's like no it isn't these are not <laughs> the same thing like, <laughs> um, yeah yeah well actually this is just real i'm realizing this now before the explosion is a huge rainstorm yeah it's oh that juxtaposition more water of, yeah <laughs> water and fire and i i bet if we if we look hard enough uh, not hard enough. If we look at it again on a second viewing, I'm sure there will be more juxtaposition of those two ideas. I like that yeah. a lot, actually. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't occur to me. Uh, speaking of that, generally the visual direction of this movie is phenomenal. I think uh, it's like superb. I think this is probably the best looking Nolan film. I think. No, I'm I'm I, a, I like, in complete agreement with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's ever looked this good. Uh, I'm curious. I'm gonna do some research on that. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you speak on that, Aiden? Yeah, it's just like the shot choice is really incredible. It's uh, it I was not I didn't know it was Hoyt Van Hoytema who had shot this, but not surprising because it not it surprising. is this like it is this like shallow depth of focus thing. Oh, I have a tidy nitpick where it's like so many of the shots in this movie are out of focus. It's insane. Like so many times where like an eye is out of focus. It actually was I was I was just like that's crazy that it's that. <laughs> and it made me feel good about the fact that one of the films I'm editing now has a lot of out of focus stuff too. But anyway, <laughs> that's it. <in> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess that was just cinematography brained. But yeah, um, I think that there's like, it's just like really the shallow focus works really well, and it's like in the majority of shots, like it's not just in close-ups, it's also in just like wides. And I think it, especially in the subjective lens, because I think that there's probably in my memory, there's a deeper focus when we're in the more objective segments of the movie. And I think this 
it ties into this idea of it this being this very subjective character focused thing like we're always focused on oppenheimer or the person he's talking to or the person he was focusing on in that scene and so they stand out focally like they are they are clearly the one of the only things in focus on the screen um and so i think it like it works really well to build the subjective lens and then similar and then i think oppositely like this isn't exactly true because there are definitely there's definitely shallow focus in the black and white object objective scenes as well but i think that it in my memory especially the stuff like around the table when they're sitting there in black and white like we see a lot of people like just in pretty clear focus at that point um and i think that like that like that ties into in this case like there's no the camera doesn't necessarily have an opinion of everything that's happening it's just what's happening and so we're not focusing on individual people aside from obviously shot choice that will focus on certain people but yeah yeah i'm in complete agreement i think this is the best looking nolan film uh to, i i did some research on hoyt van hoytema right now actually and i was aware that they had collaborated together but i wasn't sure how far back that went and so that yeah. he has done three other movies with nolan uh I'm not going to make you guess what they are because it's the three that came before I, Oppenheimer. I did. I uh, also did just pull it up. In it would be pretty easy to guess anyways. <laughs> uh, it's Dunkirk, Interstellar, and Tenet. Uh, <laughs> the fantastic, mind-blowing Tenet. Um, and it looks great. Uh, I mean, Van Hoytema makes some lovely movies. He also did Nope, Her, Spike yeah. Jones is Her. He did Ad Astra. Oh, I'm actually mm -hmm. confusing him when I said the shallow. Sorry to cut you off. I'm I'm actually confusing him with the who's the guy who always works with Villeneuve. Who am I thinking of? Oh, him, Frazier, Greg Frazier. Maybe. Uh, you sorry, you keep talking. I but I can I said the wrong guy by accident. But anyway, keep going. Could be someone else. Greg Frazier did Batman. I'm not sure. Anyways, he also did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is a movie that is good. Anyways, uh, to talk about this movie and the cinematography. I think in addition to it being just like, like when I say it's the best, I think part of that has to do with, um, yeah, I guess shallow depth of field and like changing focal lengths is a big part of it. Kind of like the compositions I think are stronger than usual, maybe. Um, Although I do think Nolan is generally compositionally strong. And I also think that his camera movement is strong generally too. Mm. I, I, I've, I'm feeling the, the weakness in my Nolan catalog. Like I think I've seen most of them, but like I can't actively refer to them. They're not that strong in my memory sure. uh, per se. But I guess I guess for me a lot of it is like the rain kind of situation where it's maybe taking a little more of a symbolic turn as opposed to strict like realism. Um, and what else can I say? Uh, I don't know. Beats me. I had an idea, Peter. I would say though, I still think Dunkirk's cinematography beats this one. Like I think I haven't seen Dunkirk. Um, I think this one has a lot of great like character shots. Hundred percent, definitely agree with that. Uh, but Dunkirk's uh, wide shots and also just like aerial shots are just so powerful. Um, to with like it really makes you feel the weight of the battlefield uh, by uh, representing them in very very unique iconic but also creative ways but this one has amazing character shots for for sure there's no denying that i i also like how this movie plays with light and shadow mm -hmm. uh one of the shots that just came to mind was oppenheimer with the bomb up in the tower 
and he kind of like like yeah. leans in towards it and it's that's in shadow they are backlit and it looks phenomenal it looks fantastic yeah. uh and i think i think a lot of this movie is shadowy and accentuating those like it's it's the cure to like the the low contrast night scenes we've been seeing like these <laughs> night scenes look phenomenal yes like, from this this movie um yeah i just like like the wonders of good lighting and good cinematography do for a movie um uh oh and i was i was gonna say we should probably at least mention the black and white thing in that yeah nolan nolan explained this for us so we no one gets to kind of decipher it for ourselves i guess but yeah the color the color is subjective to oppenheimer's experience and the, the black and white is factual it's uh, objective what actually def- definitively happened and it also speaks to the visual style. So with the subjective, we get kind of like um, moments of expressionism where things that are not truly happening in the real world are seen. So those moments of like weird sound design, the shaky background, the, the charred body he stepped into, yeah. those are only going to be found in the color scenes, whereas the black and white is going to be very objective. Uh, and sometimes... Not to say that it doesn't get expressive. There is one moment where Robert Downey Jr. gets angry and we switch to a shaky cam or a, a handheld look. Uh, yeah. And I would say that is, that is going into expression, uh, expressionist territory. So, but, there, but there is still a, a distinct difference. And I think this is a really cool idea that worked totally worked for me. And I loved how that set up moments where we can see it from both sides. So mo- like the table scene, we see it from both sides. Yeah. And the Albert Einstein moment, which we know is coming from the trailers, is like hyped up for the end because it's this mystery that's set up in the beginning. Yeah. From Strauss's perspective, the objective perspective, what did he say to Einstein? And we eventually see it. And that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, this isn't this isn't uh, cinematography, but I also just quickly on that moment, I like how like Strauss's ego informs him that he'd become obsessed with the idea that um, that they had talked about him and that Oppenheimer had said something about yeah. him to Einstein, and so tying to this idea this idea of ego, when in reality he's just lamenting about the fact that he thinks he ruined the world. And so I think like that that's a that's a really good moment. Uh, but yeah, and- cinematography looks great. This takes us into, I think, our last point for this movie is yeah. Strauss. Uh, and I think, I think this is actually a great place to end. I think this is a, a part of the movie that is very important, that sometimes works very well and sometimes did not work very well for me. Uh, I'll start. So I think, I think what you pinpointed was a great moment that worked. Is another, is a, he's another character who is kind of self-focused and sees but he's he's sees more of the world i guess where oppenheimer might turn internal um when strauss sees a slight against himself he goes on the the attack um and so so that moment is set up really nicely but one one moment that didn't work for me and i think this can start a discussion of strauss is what i call the scooby-doo moment of it was you all along, wasn't it, Strauss? When Han Solo f- discovers him and like is like, you were there the whole time. 
maniacally pulling the string so that Oppenheimer got fucked. And I I get it, but also it, it feels very cartoony for me to be like, first of all, it's, although not explicitly stated, I think that idea is quite clear from the beginning yeah. that it's probably him. They're being... Um, kind of obscure for and like vague for a reason and they it's always like not insinuated but to the audience it is that it was Strauss all along I didn't really need a moment for Alden Ehrenreich to be like a detective to be like ah it was you in the candlestick with the uh, that didn't make any sense it was you in the (laughs) library with the candlestick you know um and from there, from there on, I, I felt the movie losing me a little bit as we veered further into Strauss territory. But I like the idea of, like, there's this guy who is so mad at Oppenheimer. It's his Aaron Burr to be Hamilton here, you know, that he is, he's created because of Oppenheimer, right? That's what, or, like... Like, you create your own villains, is what I mean by that. Um, mm-hmm. And how that affects him later, how it creates this kangaroo trial, not a real trial. And then how... And then, we ultimately, we just have to resolve that. And that's spun off into its own story. But for the most part, I like Strauss. And Robert, Robert Downey Jr. puts in a, a phenomenal performance. Yeah, RDJ is great. Uh, I... I didn't have a problem with that scene. I think that that like, I think it's actually important that at some point you make it explicit that it was him. And I think that if you're going to do that moment, it has to be kind of character revealing as well. And so I think that what I like about it is that it reveals that similar to Oppenheimer, he's this egoistic person who's also so hell bent on a singular goal. Like he has this deeply rooted desire and motivation for to achieve this one thing. And that is, like, to get into the cabinet and be elected. Um, but, like, and so the, I, I like that the mirrors Oppenheimer. I didn't really have a problem with it. What I did think during it was, like, oh, Nolan loves this shit. Nolan, Nolan loves to do this where you either, like, a reveal that a character was a different character or, like, we were only seeing part of a character the whole time. I also think, like... He also loves to have a moment that is recontextualized later, and so I love the Einstein thing. Is as just like that's such a that's such an archetypical Nolan moment. Yeah, that like, is so Nolan. Where, where like we see we, this conversation we've been seeing since the beginning of the movie is actually like we finally see the context in the end. Like he he loves to do that, and so my only complaint is that it felt like there were like three or four times that happened where I was like. Okay, <laughs> like maybe we don't need this many like reveals, but whatever. I actually I like that was my favorite act, uh, the third act about Strauss and the the court the courtroom hearings. I just thought like it's so interesting. Like, how can Oppenheimer have such a dramatic life? You know what I mean? Like, you thought your life would would peak, you know, by the time you create like your biggest invention, but then afterwards, there's just so much more. Um, so like that really surprised me and also uh, it is actually quite funny that Strauss just got publicly humiliated and just decided to <laughs> go on a mission to take down Oppenheimer but like um, I really loved how the Strauss scenes are interlaced within the movie uh, I think like they actually provided some really cool like subtle 
in, in a subtle type of way as well because like oftentimes you, you can't really tell where the straw scenes take place in terms of timeline but they did provide a lot of cool context in scenes when like for example when he was talking about oh th- that was the night that you met gene tadlock so like you know like gene tadlock's gonna be significant later on and then we go into Oppenheimer's subjective view of seeing his meeting with gene tadlock and then this is repeated several times um uh, during the movie before we reached the third act where we sort of went full into the courtroom hearing and we just sort of stayed there um and i, I just thought that's a, such a cool way to tell a story and i really like how nolan movies make you sort of think and help make help give audience the liberty to piece the story together he sort of did something similar in dunkirk as well with the three different timelines progressing at three different uh speed but they all technically is within the same sort of battlefield um and like in this in this one it's the same thing like um like for example with the uh the meeting between uh discussion about the h-bomb in the black and white scene uh you sort of you get more and more clue about what this what, what is actually going on in that scene with Strauss, with the boardman and other people uh as the movie goes on and you eventually piece together oh what why that scene took place how did that scene take place and when that scene took place so i thought like the fact that it's a historical movie and nolan is still able to do that is so cool yeah um it's funny that you like the third act so much i saw i saw on twitter that some people were complaining about yeah, um, it seems like, like to be the most divisive or, one, for sure. Let me finish. There was a review, a specific review that had said that there were too many government hearings in the third act, or it was, it was, it was government hearing heavy in the third act, and then the response to that in the tweet that I read was, um, like, a movie could not possibly have enough government hearings. <laughs> and I, I do think, like, like, I am kind of actually on that side. Like, I think, I think government hearings or, like, trials, like, that kind of sh- like yeah. I eat that shit up. That is that as is as long as they're surpri- interesting and they yeah. were. Yeah. That is surprisingly has great cinematic potential. I mean, like I the one I think of is one I've seen relatively recently. Um, I'm of course forgetting the name. It's a French movie. I might have watched it with Aiden. With the trial, I'll try and figure out what it's called. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Um, but like, think about like Twelve Angry Men. That's a very famous movie in a, in a it's completely set in a trial. Um, but uh, as a different point, uh, I'll just kind of like to wrap this up. I will say that for the the duality of Barbenheimer, it's it's very funny how much of a boy movie this is. <laughs> like, sure. like this is a dudes movie, movie for dudes. There's just a bunch of bros building bombs, male friendship. Um, there's like your no- classic Nolan Scooby-Doo moments, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and some like pretty very obvious line deliveries that might also be just like Nolan moments. So like his, the when, when we bring back Take in the Sheets, I literally said that as they were saying it because I knew, <laughs> I knew he, what he was going to say. I was like, oh, don't take in the sheets, right? And then also the last line of the film was pretty predictable. It was like, what if we did? Duh, Nolan. Um, but I don't, I don't think these are... What does that have to do with a... How, 
what are those why are those boy things um those are nolan things and i think nolan sure. is a a boy he is he is a boy maker. director i think that's he's a true. male director but also like he yeah. makes boy movies and sure. like this is this is very like not derivative it's it's very like pinholing i guess but when we talk about like what a film bro is nolan yeah is they gonna be nolan. named yeah and there's there's reasons for that i think I don't know if Nolan or um, if Oppenheimer escapes that. I think it escapes it maybe more than his other films do. I think it's more of a, a film about really strong ideas. Uh, I think there's a lot of dudes in this movie though, and <laughs> um, in you know direct comparison with the next movie we'll be talking about, uh, it's it's interesting how few female characters there are in. Oppenheimer and how sidelined they are could be a nature of the story itself and the role they played but I also think that's I think up to a certain point that is a di- directorial choice so just throwing that out there before we talk about it yeah I mean I think maybe but it's also like oh man it sucks that women weren't more directly involved with the development of nuclear bombs like right like but I, I get at, what you're saying at, but it's like we still have Emily like, Blunt in there and Florence Pugh, but they have a fraction of the screen time of everybody else. I would say that they probably have the same amount of screen time as, like, most of the side characters. Like, most individual characters don't get a lot of screen time. Yeah, the size people like, get, like, very few screen Like, time. they definitely... Like, they have this... as For example, like, Lawrence, who's a pretty significant character. Like, I forget his first name, but his last name is Lawrence. Like... I don't know if they get less than him. And it's like, I I don't think that's an entirely fair way to judge a movie if the what the movie is begs for it to be mostly men, then, like, that's what it is. You know what I mean? I think that you could maybe a more... And not, not, to, not to... I don't mean this as a response to you in particular. I just mean a more incisive criticism, I think, would be to look at how are women specifically being portrayed in the movie... And maybe there's something there, but I think just like I saw a bunch of tweets about this, where it's like someone had tweeted like it's 20 minutes into the movie until a woman speaks, but it's like, well, what does that mean? Like that doesn't that doesn't have anything well, to do with anything. Like, and so just like mm-hmm. I don't think it's valuable to just look at like more superficial ideas of like how much runtime did they have or how much line or how involved in this were they, and more just like well within the story taking it at taking it on its own terms and at face value, like how, how are people being presented? How are women being presented? Whatever. And I, to me, it, I don't think it's, I didn't have a, a specific problem with it, but I could see criticisms within that. But I just don't think, I don't think it makes sense to criticize just a lack of women in the movie. I can. So I, I, I understand the, the impulse to, to be like, yeah, but that's the story. My the thing that keeps popping into my head is what if what if anyone else made this movie and what if they were not male? What if it was a female director who decided to make but, an opposite okay, story? Okay, but then they wouldn't make this movie. They wouldn't make this movie that's about these things. You know what I mean? So, well, this is where we have to discuss some of these ideas is like 
why are we why are we just like yeah this is normal you know when it's a movie with a long list of dudes and well just like just something food for thought i don't have super insightful thoughts about this but like the characters we do see who are female are i mean if it's a movie about oppenheimer and his the world of the world he inhabits is a very male dominated space so yes we're like we're gonna have a lot of dudes in it i just i think it's interesting to to comment and reflect on like historically nolan movies nolan has a bad reputation i think there are other Nolan movies that women. yeah i think there are other Nolan movies that that criticism could be leveled against more i don't think this is an example of one because i think a lot of it also has to do like there's masculinity tied up in ideas of american exceptionalism and i think that that's what the movie's getting at and so i yeah to me like that doesn't that's kind of like it's kind of like shallow representation politics that don't it's not always a very materialistic or uh like tangible criticism you know what i mean mm. so it, alex in response of uh you sort of uh thinking about what if a different director directed Oppenheimer. And, like, in my opinion, when it comes to directors, I think they present their perspective and interpretation of the material onto film. And this is sort of Nolan's male perspective uh, and interpretation of Oppenheimer's story. And I, I want to just draw your atten- uh, this parallel between this and also another film, which is directed by a female director, but also featuring a very male-dominated space, the military, um, called The Hurt Locker. Um, so they th- that also featured a predominantly male cast, but that was directed from a female perspective. Cast a predominantly male cast doesn't equate to a story that is also you know like male centric and male heavy. I think that is a sort of very uh, very shallow way to you know sort of equate one thing with another. But like definitely you know from from this film, obviously Nolan is a dude, so there's a lot of male perspective in this movie. But, like, if another female director came in and directed this movie, I don't think the ratio between male and female in the cast would necessarily change. But maybe a lot of uh, a lot of the scenes and the perspective of the scenes would change. So I think judging it from a cast is a poor way to judge. Uh, yeah, I, I, okay, okay, I think we I can... I agree with okay. that. I think the perspective... We can perspective stop looking at it from, yeah. from the cast thing. Okay, you got me. But like, still, I think I think I've said I think I've said more than just the casting is the problem. You know, I'm not suggesting yeah, we I just... do gender blind casting or create fictional characters. I'm just saying that from a, I'm trying to take a step back and being like, here's a movie, three hours, lot of dudes what is the women role in this when he, like when I'm looking at this and then I'm looking at Barbie, the difference is like, it's stark and I know it has to do with the story and like, but I don't, I don't think that it's enough to be like, well, yeah, that's just what the story is because I do think that is completely a product of the writer and the director. Right. But I'm just very curious, like, like I'm very curious, like what you think, the problem is because again like if we've decided like the quantity 
whether it's screen time or percentage of the cast. We agree that's not important. What is the perspective here that is wrong? Because, again, maybe it is. Like, I'm open to that idea. I just think, like, I do think if you're going to criticize that, you should have a criticism for it. Sorry, I, that's kind of mean. I don't mean that. Like, we, we can cut this part out. I don't I don't want to be, like, mean. I don't know. I just, I just wanted to open up the possibility. I don't know if I have a specific criticism. I do think that, well, here, okay, here's what I'll say. I think in typical sure. Nolan fashion, I think the female characters are the ones the main male character has a relationship with and those characters are not particularly well developed they are consistently in scenes that frame them of like like this is the person in the relationship they're doing relationship things they are the ones they're having sex with they're the one raising the kids they're whatever sure. you know that is how we see these characters sure and i think i don't think this is different from a nolan movie in that respect I think there's the character who, you know, there's the character who kills herself and it's always like, it's from Oppenheimer's perspective and I've, we've talked about that in a good way, how yes, events are portrayed through his perspective and I guess if he's forgetting about the women in his life or he's, you know, has multiple women in his life, like that's presented in the movie. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I think that it's worth noting that why it's worth investigating why we're saying that this is a boy movie. I think sure. is what, I think that's what I'm, this is yeah. what I'm trying to get at, I guess. Not necessarily, wow, there's so many dudes in this movie. That's a symptom perhaps, but yeah. why, is, why is a movie like Barbie so obviously enticing to women and versus this, right? I don't know what the gender... Uh, ratio of the audiences in Oppenheimer are. I definitely know what they are in Barbie, but for Oppenheimer, <laughs> you can bet that the the amount of women who are showing up for Barbie are not showing up for Oppenheimer, right? Not to say that women can't or won't enjoy Oppenheimer. I don't think that's true at all, but I think it's it's a boy movie, and I'm trying to investigate why. Sure, but okay, and then but even what you're saying, like I think. The perspective is more important than that. Like what you were saying, like what we see women doing and, you know, you could also maybe even talk about like the way that the sex scenes are framed or whatever. Like, I think even that, like there's something there. There's like a tangible criticism of what is the perspective here. And yeah, I just don't think I'm not even talking, responding to you necessarily. I just saw a few tweets that were like that, where it's just like, there aren't that many female characters it's like well that doesn't that doesn't mean anything unless you support it with another idea you know what i mean so yeah but yeah i agree i agree that it's worth criticizing what the perspective is and how we're approaching any kind of subject matter yeah yeah and to respond to your point alex and i think it's more to do with the source material itself i think like there is like an inherent like when it comes to barbie it's predominantly like a gross toy and also it's very much like told from barbie's perspective that's and a really like, bad example though because of how many men are in the barbie movie but i think that's equally true for oppenheimer at least like in my theater like i think like you know like talking, there there are he, a lot of people who alex means in, in the movie the not cast in the theater the oh, cast of the Barbie cast. is yeah. almost like a perfect 50-50 split, if I had to guess. Yeah. Right? 
but and but that's course, that like, is a that is a fantasy movie where you can just come I will up with say any character. This it's it's occurred to me in this discussion, obviously, that historical drama has less leeway than the fictional toy thing that has yeah. no inherent story. I like I know that there's a difference. I I can understand that, and that new movies have a different gender ratio, and they we can be less forgiving for that. But I think I think what I'm I don't know. Sorry to I'll, I'll let you finish your point, Peter. No, because I thought because I thought you you're trying to draw us away from like the cast perspective because we already addressed that. You want to mostly talk about why Oppenheimer is perceived as a boys' movie and Barbie's perceived as a girls movie right that's i thought what you want to talk about more i think the reason i think people calling barbie a girl movie is very obvious why that might be the case i don't think we need to investigate that quite as much yeah. as why oppenheimer a movie that is not inherently tied to gender politics mm-hmm. sort of has become that way based on this juxtaposition it's, I mean, it's getting lobby only... in here. It's getting theory heavy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I w- I was just say one thing. Like, just from personal experience, um, a lot of guys I know are into history, and that might not necessarily hold true for girls. I I don't know. Like, like, and then, like Oppenheimer's movie. I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> history. So. history. I mean, history that, is boy <laughs> if you know what I mean. It's, well, no, no, no. That's not history, what I'm saying at all. Well, I think that there's something to be said there. History is generally written from a male perspective, and therefore. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, that's great. Now we're getting something. something mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, like that's a kind of criticism. Whatever. We don't have to yeah. tread in circles. That's way but, too theoretical. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, if, well, to get theoretical, get to get Oppie to get further Oppie in here. The idea that history is usually written by a male perspective, well, here it is again, being retold from a male perspective. So, oh. which is why. But, to but then out, you're. To sh- well, l- let me let then, me have the counter example. Sure. So, an in- a movie that I think is going to be very interesting that is coming out relatively soon. I'm not sure when is Sofia Coppola's counter to Elvis, Priscilla. What does yeah. that movie look like? And I, agree. I, <laughs> I don't I don't doubt that you don't. Um, I just think that, so so here's a counter to history is for boys, Peter, and no, idea, that's not like, what I said. Don't twist my and, words. And the idea of like a story about a, a historical story has to be a certain way. Uh, I think that if you're gonna make a story about Oppenheimer, sure, maybe you wanna, maybe this is the way. This is a really great way of doing it. I just wanted to. Wanted to throw it to a discussion. But then I will say, like, you're talking about a woman filmmaker taking on a historical event. You're you're almost in a way criticizing Christopher Nolan making an Oppenheimer movie. Because Christopher Nolan can't make a movie from a woman's perspective. You know, do you know what I'm saying? That like, is true. He, that is not something he's capable of doing. And so, like... I think that there's maybe a fair criticism there of like I don't know I was going to say maybe there's a fair criticism like do we need a man to take on a historical event but I don't think that's what the movie's the movie isn't about just telling history so I don't know if that makes sense like I I think the movie is doing a lot more than that Um, but yeah like Nolan 
can't tell things that are outside of his perspective. So I think the movie being from a man's perspective is an inevitable byproduct of what it is. I think you can just criticize within that, like what is, what is being said there. But the idea that like, well, this movie is maybe not as like, maybe a better movie would be from female perspective. Maybe I don't even disagree with that notion, but that's not what this movie is. And this movie could never be that. I think to summarize for me, I don't, Mm, what's the word? I can't think of the word. I don't uh, regret that Nolan made an Oppenheimer movie. Sure. It is probably my favorite movie of his. I like this movie. I gave it four and a half stars. I I don't know that someone else could have made a better movie. I don't know if there's a way to make an Oppenheimer movie that features more women or that features women better. I don't know. Um, it's just interesting to look at how this is... Uh, a boy movie. I, no, I lost my train of thought. Um, okay. No, I, I, I had thought I had more of an insightful wrap-up, wrap up, but um, no, I lost it. So this idea of Barbenheimer, of releasing these two very distinct movies and seeing wh- wh- why it works when movies always release, several movies usually release on the same weekend, is how different their audiences are. And it's it's made me realize, like, who are these movies being made for, I guess is what I'm really trying to investigate. And so I, I truly do not have all the answers, and I don't think I have necessarily fully formed criticisms against Oppenheimer necessarily. But I couldn't help but ask myself the question and then ask you guys, what, um, why... Why is this considered a boy movie? What makes a boy movie? Who are these movies made for? Is it only for boys? Um, who are going to see these movies? And more, most importantly, who is going to feel represented when they watch this movie? And so, you, you, Aiden mentions um, kind of like shallow identity politics. And I think there is a point of like just throwing in random characters to a movie that are only there to serve that particular purpose of being um i'm getting into territory of like like the woke kind of silly accusations of new movies being like oh they wokeified something because they added a female character like there's a danger to this like way of thinking um but anyways i i truly do not fully comprehend all of these kind of issues but I think it's interesting to just ask who who sure. are watching yeah. these movies, who are these movies yeah. for, which is why I want to get into the movie Barbie. Is it a really... Ah, but I do want to... Yeah, but like I will say it's... I think that... <laughs> I think you're right, but I just think that any discussion of that has to go beyond the movie and foreground the movie in being a product of various ideological overarching themes in our culture instead of like yeah again and not again not that you not that this is your main criticism instead of it just being like just looking at quantifiable things and looking at like who feels represented like i think that there are more important criticisms to level i'll say that Mm. Uh, well i think it's i think it is interesting as a 
as a sample of a larger industry in a of a patriarchal industry of movies for boys how many movies for girls do we get oh I don't know. the other thing um, i want to say is i think the success of barbenheimer is that it's actually like the same people going to both i think that's why they're both doing well is because people want to go see both i think yeah there, there's the idea of people wanting to go see both and that's like like the joke was both and and some people are making a day out of it i don't truly believe that that is reflective of the mass populace so much as people on twitter i think that's funny to <laughs> us no i i don't think that's true i think no because most well, people me... i've talked to I've, I've at least been thinking about barbenheimer well i i will have to pull up the box office numbers i'll just i just want to get the current figure because what i saw last was told enough of a story for me um yeah, I, think I know, like I know Barbie's 50, making a lot more. Yeah, I'm Barbie's not saying it's the exact same people. Well, okay, That's well, not my point. Let me get it. Um, yeah, so Oppenheimer is making literally half as much, or has made thus far in the opening window, opening win- weekend, half as much as Barbie. So I know, yes, I know that Barbenheimer, like the idea is you're going to see both, but... I think the the numbers are telling us that twice as many people are seeing That's Barbie. That's not my point. That's not my point. What is your and point? That also, point? that also goes beyond like that. That has more to do with just boy girl and just like what the movies are. Like Barbie is always gonna make more movie than more money than Oppenheimer. Like that's like always going to be true, because it's like it, this is a a big brand film of like something people recognize. That is generally mm-hmm. going to be like a lighthearted comedy versus a three-hour dramatic epic about like an independent like that's always going to make more money and also Barbie got way more marketing like it's always going to make more money. Yeah. My point is that like if Barbenheimer movement doesn't exist, if the Barbenheimer movement doesn't exist and it's not like oh we're gonna go watch both, then I think the result is Oppenheimer still makes way less money than Barbie, but it doesn't make as much. I think the gap is bigger in that case i think barbie just makes way more i think what my point is that i think oppenheimer made significantly more because people wanted to go see both because barbie was always going to win the box office and i like uh i i i'm gonna have to pull up some figures to even consider that as an option uh but no i'm not he i think i think you're right Aiden, because um like when uh, when Nolan sort how could you disagree that Barbie was always going to make more? Yeah, because when when Nolan Ooh, when Nolan went with when Nolan went with Universal instead of uh, Warner Bros, he was actually really unhappy about this decision of releasing uh, Warner Bros. deciding to release Barbie on the same day as Oppenheimer because like that's clearly a middle finger to him. Um, but then like like the the like the prediction is the Warner Bros. people thought. By placing them on the same day, the Barbie would just significantly overshadow a three-hour-long R-rated mm-hmm. epic. But because of the Barbenheimer movement, they actually like both movies. When one movie got marketing, the other movie was trending as well. So both movies, in turn, made more money as a result. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so I found Box Office Mojo. The best I, I can do is Dunkirk, I think, because Tenet doesn't really count. Weird weekend. So. Dunkirk's opening weekend, this would have been, what, 2017, I think? 
uh, was 50 million. So yeah. 50 versus 80. So I the 30 million, yeah, if you want to attribute that, more. you want to attribute that to the, the Barbenheimer movement. Also di- different the, factors. Like those are different movies like too. Like, I don't know. Whatever. Well, let's I, just, okay. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's go to Barbie. We, ha- we have to go on to the next movie. Let's go to Barbie. We then. watched Barbie. Aiden, tell me about Barbie. Dunkirk is PG-13. Sorry, I whatever. do not care. Just okay. tell me about Barbie. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Barbie was a movie that was written and directed by Greta Gerwig, also written by Noah Baumbach. Uh, it was based on Barbie by Mattel, starring Margot Robbie, oh, Ryan Gosling, America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Michael Sarah, Ariana Greenblatt, Simu Leo, Issa Rae, Rhea Perlman, and Will Ferrell. Uh, cinematography was by Rodrigo uh, Prieto. Uh uh, distributed by Warner Bros. Released on July 21st, same as Oppenheimer. Runtime, 114 minutes. Budget was, I have a range here. It's 128 to $145 million. Box office is currently $337 million. Thank you. We are once again doing the Predator. Playing critic. the game. Um, but I did see it, so I can't participate this time. I was doing my job. Wait, so do you... Do you no. automatically lose? No, I was doing my job. I was doing my due diligence. You guys are on your own. So it's up to Aiden and Peter who's going to go. And I did not have the wheel ready. Uh, I don't think yeah. you're exempt from the thing. because I think I am. Uh, I. It's been down to the two of us for several weeks because one of us was absent. I think Peter. it should be Peter and Aiden... What? How some, does that logic follow that I have to so, be thrown in? Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> what are you talking it, about? <laughs> sometimes it takes two to tango. Peter's going first. What do you think Barbie got? Uh, we should spin again. After we should spin. So, so Oppenheimer got what? Oppenheimer got eighty nine, right? So yes, yes. I'm right. gonna I'm gonna use because the uh, the Ron Tomato rating for Oppenheimer was like ninety seven or something. So that's a difference of eight. Uh, I'm gonna say seventy nine <laughs> really for Barbie. Yeah, okay. bro. I'm gonna say go seventy nine for, for Barbie. Sure. Uh, I'm gonna go eighty because I just think it's gonna be higher than that. I don't have the <laughs> this is interesting. So you think you think it's a must see movie then? That's the that's the difference sure. ultimately between the two of you. Oh really? So eighty is where they draw the that line. Doesn't, I see. That okay. doesn't actually mean anything. That's just yeah, like, that doesn't mean much. That's true. Um, well, Aiden, your guessing paid off. It is in fact exactly eighty. So you oh my god! Like That's crazy. Uh, so then, that means. Oh, I got lost. Aiden gets to go first for his non-spoiler review for Barbie. Okay. What'd you think? Uh, I like this movie. This movie is very funny. I like the direction in it a lot. Uh, I think the cast is very funny. I think it makes uh, a lot of really good points. I think uh, it definitely is a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think that there are a few moments with uh, a little bit more like nuance and a little bit less being directly explained that I think really strengthen this movie. Um, however, there is like a lot of just characters like just kind of explaining what's going on and I actually think it generally works for this kind of like toy world where it's like characters are kind of just like stand-ins for different ideas at different points I think and so I think it actually kind of works that they 
they're like they're being played with in the story and that like they're just articulating what's happening like i i can't say exactly i i just think it works pretty well some criticisms i would level against it there are a few times where i wish characters didn't just say something like i wish like there's one one line from america Ferrera's character in particular where it's just like they're talking about uh when patriarchy gets imported into barbie land which is a funny that was a funny moment but um uh there's just one line where it's like i was like why would you that's just a bizarre thing to say um but i generally don't have a really big problem with that my honestly my biggest criticism of this movie is that i actually think it just kind of loses its bite a little bit in the end and i think that um that's probably a product of it being like a mattel movie that just can't go full into criticisms that it maybe should like uh like we'll get into it but certain characters i think actually get off way too easily uh like they're that are bad guys that get off way too easily in this movie and i i don't know i i think there's a lot of value to the points it's making i think this is a very empathetic movie which is nice but uh i think it could go a bit harder but i I actually really like the cinematography i think it works really well to have this like toy world and then but there's also like some really beautiful lighting in it that isn't right in your face but it just works really well um yeah i like this movie um i would give this like four stars four stars perhaps i might go to a four and a half but probably four uh and i'd and i'd recommend this uh i would recommend this this is a good movie cool Peter, you can go next. What, okay. uh, what did you think about this? Alex, I can see you gearing up for your review, so I'm actually really interested in what you have to say. But uh, for me, I love this film. I think uh, the cast is great. Ryan Gosling, funny as always. He should be in more comedies. Same as Margot Robbie. And apparently they're teaming up again in uh, Ocean's 12? Ocean's 10? Who knows? Sure. It's like a pre- <laughs> like an Ocean's movie. Um, those movies. So... I, I just thought like the, a lot of the jokes worked. I don't mind the fact that this movie is most like a, there are a lot of jokes coming at you in very rapid pace. It's totally fine by me. I laughed a lot during the movie, um, and the core the the choreograph and uh, and yeah. and just like everything like it's so magical. Genuinely, like um, like the the fact that they turn like fighting scenes into dancing scenes, uh, like big big dance set pieces. And just like, like really makes you feel the magic of Barbie Land is fantastic, and like it just gives you like this shiny, glittery, happy feeling when you're watching it. Love it. Uh, but I absolutely agree with Aiden that uh, either it's maybe it's because it's a Mattel movie, or maybe it's because we're talking about Barbie. Um, it lost its bite quite a bit towards the end. I think like a lot of times, I think it'll be much better to go with the subtle route instead of the. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to tell the audience uh, about these things. We're, we're, I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, and I think, like, genuinely, like, uh, I think that's one thing that I would say about Greta Gerwig. It's like, yes, I think it's amazing that she's, you know, uh, getting big studio recognition, that getting contracts on big studios. But also, like, I miss some of her indie productions so much because of the fact that she can bring out these more nuanced things and she can... Um, she can like write stories that are at a smaller scale but actually hits harder uh, because like Barbie was like had everything right but actually when it went for the final hit it just did not land for me at all so um, four out of five for me uh, it will be 
a movie that I think everyone should see. I think it's a really fun, good time. And uh, yeah, I had, I had a good time in the movie too. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed watching Barbie. Uh, I think it was, it's very funny. Uh, I think some of the cast are doing just like a phenomenal job, especially in the comedy department. Like it was more often than not, it was the cast and the, the, the performances that were making me laugh more than anything else. Um, I think the story is uh, a really fun idea of like Barbie's in Barbie land. She visits the real world. We knew this was going to happen. But the specific detail that Ken discovers patriarchy, feels <laughs> empowered, yeah. and imports it back to Barbie land... That is the part that got me actually hooked on the movie. I was like, oh, that's that's a funny idea. Because I didn't know where it went after they entered the real world. And that that is the part that sold it for me. Uh, how it lands that particular plane, I don't... I think we're all kind of in uh, a mutual agreement there in that maybe it's not ideal. But I'll, I'll take that even one step further in that I'm not sure this movie is... I don't think the execution is as high as I was expecting. Uh, I think... I'm, I'm guessing at what... I'm trying to figure out what my particular problem is. I think... my I'm going to go out on a, on a limb and say that maybe it's... Either Greta's inexperience in particular genres here, in this big studio setting, and there was particular moments like maybe action scenes where I felt the execution was it felt like it was missing something like either the like i've seen it differently before and the execution i was seeing was just slightly off-putting like there was a plastic veneer no i was trying to think of a dumb metaphor uh but um yeah, I don't know. There was there was an odd feeling about this movie for me where everything felt sort of not real. In in not the good Barbie way, I guess. I know you're like you're like I would well, I would the... say that much of that is intentional. To yes, like for example, there's um the scenes in Mattel, very heightened Barbie-esque caricatures more than people. That is not what I'm talking about. It's the filmmaking itself that I found uh, that I took I had some issues with, um, and that's that's it across that's department wide. So I'd say like there were certain writing choices like dialogue editing. There were awkward pauses, um, camera placement, and like the selection of shots. I think sometimes there was maybe some stuff missing. I honestly don't know. Um, I maybe have to watch it again to really. This is a, like based on one single watch of this, but there was there was a weird feeling to it for me, of like this doesn't feel like it feels like a half baked movie, which is maybe a bit tough, and maybe it's not that bad, but that's the best way that I can explain this is that this is like someone who is trying to make a big studio movie and hasn't learned all of the tricks of the trade just yet and i i'm not, i don't think that means greta gerwig is a bad director i think she gets really phenomenal performances out of actors and i think we've always known that but i think barbie is lacking in technical aspects 
So that's what I'll say. Not to say that that, that didn't fully take away from the t- time I was having. I had a good time. I thought it was fun. Sure. But I don't think this is like the best Barbie movie we could have had. I think no, this I could have been a, a better movie. So I, I, I will probably give this maybe a soft four, but I, I'm kind of feeling a 3.5 just in I, I've seen some flaws. This might be a hot take, but I'm, I'm seeing a 3.5 for me. So that's, uh, that's my Barbie review. But Peter, uh, after a spoiler warning, we are going to uh, hear your synopsis. Pew, 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 woo, woo. Okay, I think this one should be pretty easy. Uh, this not should not be happen. hard. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot happened. Okay, ready? All right, let's do it. Three, two, one, go. So Barbie is living in Barbie land, this perfect world with Barbies and Kens. Uh, and then all of a sudden she started having Balance. random thoughts uh, like about death and her foot instead of, be- uh, instead of being like a lifted position started becoming flat. So she got advice to go into the real world, find the person who's playing with this Barbie and like basically fix the situation. So she went into the real world and then, um, and then got bunch of culture shocks like she thought like barbie is like supposedly fixed the world uh, uh gender equality everything's good all the women love barbie but turns out it's the exact opposite and then she got captured by mattel uh and then uh she got rescued by um gloria and her daughter uh who turns out to be the owner of her barbie and the cause of her issues and then they went back to barbie land only to find out that when Ken returned from the real world, he brought back patriarchy with him. So everything is ruled by men, and um, and Barbies are just like servants, waitresses, uh, waitresses, etc. And then they came up with a plan to sort of uh, bring the Barbies back by telling them about um, what did they do exactly? I'm actually not sure what they did because like they were just like talking about. Guys, help me out! Help me out! <laughs> oh my god! Okay, they did something to 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 bring the Barbies back, and then uh, and then Ken had like a uh, moment of like rediscovering his self worth and his place in the Barbie world, and uh, that's it. Sure, with plenty of time to spare. Sure. Um, yeah, the Kens lose. They get tricked into. Uh, well, first they unbrain. Oh yes, the they get tricked to fighting each other. Yes. They get tricked into fighting each other, but they unbrainwashed the Barbies by um, telling them about the the dichotomy of like womanhood and like how you have to be this but not that. And when they're awoken to like what that is like and like like to have the veil lifted from their eyes, so is the 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 spell is broken. Right. Yes. Of patriarchy, I suppose. Um, and then I guess an important fact is that. Ken is Ken seems to think that they're boyfriend girlfriend, but oh yes, I totally missed that. Yes, she like yeah. fully shuts him down at the end, and is like, "We be, that wasn't what thing. this was, yeah. and you need to just like not be near me. You need to be Ken, like not Barbie and Ken. We need to be Barbie and Ken, which is a line from the movie. Uh, Barbie also makes it into the real world." She's a real human oh, being. Oh my god, I forgot so That's much. True. I'm sorry. And uh, that brings us to our first point. Barbie real now. I just Barbie wanted to say now. that because I thought it was Barbie funny. is real now. Barbie real now. 
Uh, and she they fly goes, now. They fly now. That's why yeah. I think it's funny. They do Barbie fly now. now. Uh, and she goes to a gynecologist, which is pretty funny. I thought she was getting a. I think you're supposed to assume she's doing a job Going interview. Going to a job yeah, interview. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was trying to think, like, what is she qualified for? Do they have. Yeah. I guess maybe they have schooling in Barbie land, but she doesn't have, like, a specific profession. And then, nope, gynecologist. Good stuff. Uh, I guess we ask the classic question, actually. Favorite part? Do we have one? You go, Peter. I have a very Peter. easy favorite part. Very I easy. love, I love the dance scene at the very beginning at the Barbie's house, like oh, uh, where, where Margot Robbie did the iconic hand clap with the wink. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, that like that entire scene was so good. Like there was a little bit of like, uh, like rivalry between Simu Liu and uh, Ryan Gosling's Kens going on at the same time. So that's like that supplies the comedy, and then the entire. Like dancing was just so cool. Like, like the the dance, and then like that just like that scene immediately transported me into Barbie Land. Like that's the scene where I got immersed. Um, and like that genuinely, like I was sitting with my friends at time. I was like, like I want to get up and dance. Like that looks so good. That's so fun. You know, um, that was definitely one of the highlights of the movie for me. It's. It's definitely a fun moment. I, I like. I'm a. I'm a fan of choreographed dance on film, so uh, yeah. I'll say that as a. No, as as a positive first, I'll say, uh, Ryan Gosling. As this will be a. I already predict this will be a common theme for me in this talking about this movie. Ryan Gosling is great in this scene, as he is in many other sure scenes, <laughs> and um, he. Like like him trying to like get close to Barbie, but like still like committing to the dance and like will not yeah. stop doing the moves until like he finishes the moves. It's just so funny. Um, I will say that the the do you guys ever think about dying coming out of nowhere? We saw that in the trailer coming out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, the trailer sort of ruined. I it. had no idea that that was like truly out of nowhere, and like there was nothing before then. That was a. It was definitely a shock kind of like choice i i don't hate it but I, I was definitely surprised that there wasn't anything to like cue that that might be coming you know yeah no i know what you mean like like if uh if one of the other symptoms occurred first you know what i mean like if uh yeah. maybe not flat-footedness but like something else went on uh but i actually i kind of like this order of it i kind of like because i i think it speaks to like she doesn't know like what's happening to her like she, like it feels very sudden to her as a character yeah. and so i kind of like that it feels sudden to us um yeah and i, I think that what i want to say about the scene is that i think margot robbie in particular is great at this scene and is great in this movie like just i, I think like giving a phenomenal performance in this movie i think that like the way she is balancing like a genuinely very funny comedic performance with very sincere emotions that like in giving a lot of emotional weight to scenes where she needs to, I think like, I think she's doing a great job. Absolutely. I think like, I mean like like we know she's a great actor from Babylon and and everything else, but yeah. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about Babylon a lot during this movie. I was like, man, Margot is really great in Babylon. She's doing like as much as she can with Barbie. I think. I think Barbie like. I think the character of Barbie as a lead character does not have 
quite as much to do as some of the other characters do who get who are allowed to be a little more zany but uh i do i do think margot robbie is a talented actor uh aiden do you have a a favorite part yeah i'll say building off of that i think that one of the reasons margot robbie's so great in this movie is that the more tender scenes in this movie hinge upon just her acting like if she doesn't deliver those moments like the moments where she's sitting on the bench and she's looking around and she's like understanding what it means to be human for the first time and she's like and she's dealing with uh like self-consciousness and navigating all the things that come with that and the the trials and tribulations as well as like the wonderful things that come with being human as well as when she first meets the creator of barbie like and she i like i really love the lines where she's talking about like i don't feel pretty anymore like i I think that that that's great and talking about talking about gender roles and how restrictive they are and also talking about like what has been cast upon her and a person's sense of value I, like and so I'm kind of all over the place, but I just mean those t- more tender scenes where we're getting to, essentially like she's been made to feel worthless because you can't have value unless you attain the standard that is set by the gender role and it's unattainable, and so as a result like she feels worthless and she doesn't have they even there's a line in the movie where they say like like girls are stripped of their innate sense of value and I think that like the moments where it is just like a very when she looks at someone else on the bench and sees how valuable they are and how like and she says like you're so beautiful to a woman beside her who is just like valuable just because she's a human being who has existed and been through all these things and i i also love the same moment where or not the same moment similar moment where the creator of barbie says to her like yeah like you're i think you're just right like you don't you don't need to do anything you don't have to you don't have to change to be worth existing and i think that like those are moments that what I really love about those moments is that a lot of this script is very on the nose and those are moments that just settle down a little bit and give you a little bit more to just like think about what is happening and at the same time I think that through acting and directing I think really good directing and editing you like shot choice and such you understand what she's thinking in a really effective way yeah and I'll just add on to that I think it's really cool because um um like in order for this movie to feel believable she needs to be sort of, sort of balanced between like really innocent character because like you know she's only ever been in barbie land and also have this childhood wonder thing going on at the same time all with like portraying like an adult character and i thought like like throughout the film she's just has done that very very consistently in all the things she, she's in so amazing yeah. Did you have a, a favorite part? Uh, was, was oh, that, yeah, that was your favorite part. Was that one of them? or the, Those two scenes I'll talk about in particular as being, mm-hmm. like, and for okay. similar reasons, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, to touch on, like, the commentary, we can get into this early, I guess, but um, I like... Hmm, I like the ideas. It's, it's tackling, again, kind of like... This is what I mentioned in the review, in the non-spoiler review, is, like, I don't know that the execution was always how I liked it, how uh, or how yeah. What you said about like some scenes are on the nose is I definitely felt that. Um, like the scenes where they're really just like telling us, it's the classic film thing of like show don't tell. There's long character monologues about like where they just describe what the patriarchy is and 
how how um, paradoxical it is as to exist as a, as a woman. And I just, I know that this is supposed to be a highly marketable movie that works for everyone, which means usually you have to be a little more straightforward with your messaging. But I, I think that is true up until a point. I think we can have a movie that challenges ideas without being so on the nose about it. There's there's just a couple moments, and I mean, like, it's different when it's a comedy. Sometimes the abruptness and the the um, the straightforwardness of it is the joke, and sometimes that works. So, like, any time Ken is fully embracing the patriarchy, that is hilarious. That is truly funny stuff. But, like, there's other moments, and honestly, that's also, like, more like visual humor as well and I think that's using film language to its strengths and it's when it when it dives more into just like talk it's really the talking of it and it's I don't know it is it is hard when you're trying to get your message out to general audiences um, and it's kind of like heady subject matter I guess but I, I, I feel like it could be boiled into more physical actions. I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, I'll just stop talking there. But like, that's that's kind of my take on, on the commentary this movie tries to present. Okay, yeah, I think that I, I agree to a lesser extent in that there are some moments where it just pushes being on the nose for me. Like, like I was saying, there's one particular line where America Ferrer's character goes like, the reason why patriarchy took hold so hard in Barbie land is because they weren't, they weren't equipped to deal with it. Like they were, they didn't have security against it much like the indigenous people of America with smallpox or whatever. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> like that, like that one, like there's some lines like that where it's like, I don't know, just like, like, let me think about like why this would happen. Like you don't need mm-hmm. to, you don't need a remark on everything. However, I do think that, I think two things. So I think that it works actually for most of this movie because the characters are inherently archetypes. Like that's what they're like. She's stereotypical Barbie and there's this Barbie and this Barbie and what and whatever. And like they're meant to just be like symbols and images. And they're basically like they are self-aware symbols. Like that's baked into what the script is. And so I actually think it's it's kind of interesting that all of the dolls just like vocalize their thoughts like i think that that's actually like because why wouldn't they like they like they don't have to operate they in their lives they don't have to use the same coded language that humans do uh like in navigating things because why would they like everything in barbie land is like perfect and whatever so it's like they don't have to use coded language they just they just say what they're thinking because there's nothing there is no norm that is suggesting they shouldn't do that. And so I actually think it works well for the most part. I don't like it when the human characters start doing it too hard. And I think for that reason, because I think there's just, there's less of a justification for why like America Ferrera's character and the daughter are doing that. Will Ferrell's character is a bit different, I think, because he's supposed to be super absurd. So it's like, but even he doesn't really do it. So I don't know. But I think for the most part, I actually wasn't really bothered by it. And then the other reason I'm not really bothered by it is because if there was nothing else going on, if there was no commentary in any part, in any other part of it, I would not like it. But 
even in dialogue, there is some more subtle dialogue that I really like. Not that it's the most nuanced thing in the world. But a moment I really like, for example, is when Ken, Ken first goes off on his own in the real world. And someone just says, excuse me, sir, to him. And, like, that's, a, that's great. And it just, like, showing how, like, the way you are hailed and the way you are treated, like, creates this, like, both builds upon and reaffirms this gender role. And by using someone who, by taking it to sometimes like extreme lengths and using someone who is as an adult, just like Ken's an adult, uh, just like now understanding it, it does a really good job of pointing out how absurd it is. Like in trying to wrap his head around these ideas, like he just gets like, yeah, horses are man extenders and like, like, and so I think that there is, there is more subtle commentary going on that isn't just a character saying things and that's why i like that's why i don't mind it as much um as well i also think in like the more tender scenes like there's more going on about like the complicated feelings of i have a whole point about playing but i'll get into that later but like the restrictive nature of gender roles like i think that that's shown in other ways as well and so i think that it's not a huge problem for me for those two reasons that's what i guess yeah yeah and uh like I find I find it really difficult to criticize some parts of this movie because uh, I feel like this movie a lot of parts of it is like it's really hard to sort of draw a line between the movie and feminism. Like you want to criticize the movie, but you don't want to get into the feminism territory. So like like and especially like as a guy, like sort of like I can only offer my perspective on the movie. I find it like sometimes. Because I've talked to a lot of people, uh, both girls and guys, after the movie. And, like, it did, like, for people who played with Barbie as kids, and also who, for people who really resonate, like, the the, Barbie, the message in Barbie really resonated with them, like, the movie meant a lot for them. So, like, I can only, like, before I get into my criticism, I just want to give that disclaimer. It's, like, that is, True. like, strictly from my perspective. And, like, and, like, I can totally see it from the other way as well. But, like... Like my one of my biggest problem with this movie was the Gloria's monologue at the end. Um, I think like that monologue, like the content is no problem. Like the content is great. Like and the fact that she's the, the delivering the monologue in such a pivotal moment in the plot as well, it's just is really great. But I think the the content can be delivered in a more like a, in a less direct type of way. Like I think just saying it actually diminishes the impact of the monologue in my opinion i'm really curious of what you guys think about this um like i think like that's what i'm referring to when i think like the barbie set up like a punch but the, the punch didn't really land for me i think like that monologue is supposed to sure. be the climax and the punch landing but that didn't really work for me i just thought like it's a little too direct but like interesting what you guys think yeah when i think of like the commentary being not subtle enough that's the scene that is in my head it's her going on and it, it i feel like that scene goes on for longer than i would have expected maybe too long um where she is just saying a lot of things it is like sort of on her mind as a character of like this built-up frustration so like in theory i get it but i think this also has to do more with like I don't think the human characters are particularly well built up and developed. I think that that would require 
I don't know, more movie for that. Like, I, I feel like those characters are definitely rushed and are not, they're not the focus of the movie, but they also kind of are super important, yet that relationship doesn't feel more real than, like, Barbie Land to me. In a way that, like, that feels, it feels archetypal in a way, in that, like, here is mother-daughter who aren't getting along kind of, like, trope. But I, that doesn't, I don't think that ever felt like a sincere, genuine relationship to me. And that's, that's again, speaking to, like, the idea, like, watching this movie, this felt like, like a fake movie. Kind of like a cool idea, like, meta, like, making a movie that feels kind of fake, but I don't think that was the intent. <laughs> I feel like the emotion of, like, the mother-daughter relationship never felt... Um, never reached that level of sincerity that felt um, authentic, I guess. So that connecting to the later scene of like this built up frustration coming out, pouring out in this monologue, it feels very forced of just like now I'm going, because I'm supposed to be frustrated at this moment, I'm just going to tell you all the things. And I think, I think the movie could have done a better job of... Um, tracking these character arcs and finding ways to uh i don't know show not tell i guess to be simplistic sure but. i agree and disagree so i think that like i think that the movie could have done more to develop the characters i think that that's true but i disagree that it feels insincere i think it feels very sincere and i think it feels very personal and i don't know if i could point these out like and again i think that's in the details i think like like I, I I like the shot of just like, uh, when she, when she's first like swinging the Barbie around, like when she's trying to talk to her daughter and she just like has it in her hand and like, there's just like little little just things they're doing that just made it feel real to me. Um, I will say regarding the monologue, oh no, what was I gonna say? What was my point? Oh yes, this is okay. Yeah. So like as the movie spells out, which again, fair criticism, maybe it shouldn't do this. Like, the whole point of it is that, like, by articulating the struggles that come with, like, that create cognitive dissonance for women under patriarchy, they can take power away from it. And so I think that it actually does serve a strong function of, mm. like, that's why, that's why she does it. Like, that's because she needs, this needs to be articulated. That's the general point the movie makes in the end, is that, like, articulating these things and just like being more honest with each other and just like trying, trying to just have more human interactions where we just say what we feel instead of trying to, instead of attaching ourselves to gender rules that were constructed in, in various ways. Like I, I think that like, that's the point it's making. And so, and then I also, I, I just believe the character would do that. And I guess that's just like, I don't know if you don't, that's fine, but I just, I just do. So, but yeah. I think you've got a good point there in that it's it's pointing out the cognitive dissonance is the important thing that you need to do. I do think that I think maybe maybe a, a more accurate criticism is the dialogue of the monologue feels more first drafty or even second drafty where it's okay. a lot of it's the this and not that this and not that and it goes on for like six or seven eight examples and i think i think it would be messier maybe in that like i i yeah i think it's the the 
it doesn't hmm. it feels like a written speech to you is that yes. fair to say that's okay. exactly it it feels like a written speech like this is when we're going to point out all the things and it feels too clean and like i had time to think of all the examples and yeah uh okay I have a favorite part. I, I didn't really have a problem oh. with that, but I do see where you're coming from. Yeah, I just, yeah. just want to... Yeah. Sure. Uh, I have a favorite part, and um, I think it's the... the uh, I have it. It's Ken discovering patriarchy in the real world. This keeps coming up, but um, I'll, I guess I'll touch on this point now. I think, I think for me it's pretty definitive that Ryan Gosling stole this movie from Margot Robbie... Not like, not like in a malicious. This is this I is my take. If you disagree, that's fine. But like, yeah. not in a malicious way. I am a, I'm a big fan of Ryan Gosling, so like that's not surprising, and it might just be for me. But I think that Ryan Gosling gives a phenomenal performance as Ken, and that is what I'm remembering leaving the movie. Maybe it's a guy thing, for me. Again, that doesn't make sense because Aiden feels differently. But um, just like. So this scene in particular of him having been like like a supporting but kind of like stupid, uh, kind of like I'll follow you around uh, himbo, for lack of a better word, and then being like, what if I had the power kind of situation? And just like looking around at all the things and like the, the things he's picking up on are just so funny. So like the horses thing becomes a bit played out by the end. Like we're just like bringing back horses and horses, horses. But like sure. the first couple times is very funny. Like the, I also, the, the yeah. things it chooses to show is like this is guy stuff, hilarious. Yeah, and again, like what's so funny about it is that like it's pointing out the absurdity of gender roles, like in, in a really clever way. But yeah, I'll just say when he's like, I figured it out. Horses are man extenders. Like yeah. that, that's, that's, that's great. That's really yeah. And like, like they're showing like, like I remember Bill Clinton is shown during that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a part where like Ken is just watching um, two guys shake hands, and he's like, mm, yeah. and he's like yeah. mirroring them, and like yeah. different scene, but like when he's like so excited that somebody asked him what the time was. Yeah. That's just like, like I I just found like the Ken character was like, I don't know. Yeah, he stole the show for me. But that's also, that moment is also another really good one that shows, like, the subtle ways in which gender roles are reaffirmed, where it's just, like, a little thing where, like, if someone asked me at a time, like, I wouldn't think about that as anything, but, like, maybe that is, like, a part of, of like, gender dynamics. And I, I think, like, there are actually a lot of examples of the movie doing that. I think that's one of the strengths. Mm, what can we talk about? Um, oh, here's something. So this, this came up in my mind not necessarily uh, as like the next point, but um, when I was thinking about the Ken scene, I was remembering how like jumpy and all over the place it felt, and I could not get a solid lock on spatial continuity. That is a problem I had a Which few one? times in the movie. It was the part when, it was specifically the part when he was looking at two guys shaking hands. They were like lower than him, and then when they cut back, it looked like he was outside. It might just be a really strange building. Was but was that not just like a montage though? Yeah, it was I a montage. Was a montage. Uh, yeah, I, okay. So so yeah, like but like, I still think that like my my uh, 
reaction to the scene, I think, is valid nonetheless. I think sometimes I had a, a spatial continuity problem of like being feeling too close uh, to the characters and not getting enough of like the the wide of like where things are. This can be a greater point of though cinematography and direction. So I think I think that's maybe one of the problems I had with that. Um, but I, I think for the most part, otherwise, like the cinematography was like good, serviceable, and there was some, there were some really solid moments as well. Like, you know, well, that's not like supposed to be flashy or anything. Like, I don't think it's gonna be. Well, yeah, but not flashy but... doesn't mean serviceable. Flashy doesn't mean good. Well, I'm using my. I'm sticking with serviceable. I don't think it was great. How about that? I think it was pretty great. I actually I disagree with you. I think it was pretty great. I think that like. It does a really good job of like making, of what I I like the set decoration a lot. I like that it feels like a like very plastic is. world, um, and I like the way that the camera shows that off. I like that like, it there are a lot of shots that just like, feel like the perspective of looking at a playset. I also like that, like this is a comedy that's not trying to. This is a, it's a comedy and it's trying to use some classic comedy film language. And so there's a lot of just like, it's just a static shot of like two people and it's just like a static medium. But I think the lighting is quite good. Like, and I think that like, there's one in particular, like when they're in weird Barbie's like layer, um, right before they go into like their final plan, there's actually some really beautiful lighting, uh, like particularly on like there's just like a sunlight coming through that's just hitting them and they're just wrapping it. It's really simple, but it just, it just looks very pretty, especially like with the set deck. And I like the color a lot. Um, I also like how there are certain shots where they make like skin look plasticky and that's done with lighting. And I think that's done really well, uh, particularly in the beginning, they're doing that a lot. Um, I like the way that this camera moves with the dances. I think that it, it shows off the dances really well. Well, at the same time, like, it at once shows enough of like the body and it shows enough context and is still enough. The camera isn't doing so much that we're distracted from the dance, but it's also like working in tandem with the dance really well. I also think that the camera is not commenting upon the characters much in this movie. And I think that that's intentional. Like, I just think that that's like, it's like, it's a movie about, uh, like a movie about gender roles and like symbols and images. And I think that it, that might get confused if you just try to like start, if the camera is very judgmental in a movie, if that makes sense, like in a movie about judgment, like you could play with it really well, but I like that there's almost like kind of a neutral camera look here. And I think that it, it one gives it like this play world feeling, but then also like helps you just see, like judgment for what it is if the camera's taking more of an objective look at things if that makes sense that was a bit of a ramble but I actually my general point is that like i actually think that the cinematography is quite pretty in this movie and i think that it i like it compositionally and i like it lighting wise too while not doing anything that's like in your face i'd agree yeah, yeah. i think it showcased uh, a lot of the glittery flashy fantastical elements really well uh, yeah, yeah, I think I, I think it excels at showing off some of the, the set design at times. Mm -hmm. um, and I, oh, I, I do like it 
Uh, a lot of the times in the dance scenes. I do think, I agree that I think uh, it knows how to accentuate the movements, I guess, but also it's a, it's always a tough balance to um, kind of like keep up the action, show off the movements, but also like make sure the whole dancer's body can be seen uh, yeah. while also like conveying emotion. Dance scenes are difficult. So I think I think they they do a, a pretty good job of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty good to serviceable for me, um, and I think we'll just have different opinions on. Because okay, yeah, to me serviceable means like mid. It's yeah, and serviceable just means like it's fine, and there weren't like. So, like, to me, a movie dips below serviceable if it does, like... Like, Peter Pan was a movie that dips below serviceable, where it's, like, this doesn't look good. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, this is bad. Where And then, whereas, like, uh... I don't know, well, what's that's, something that's... Well, well what I'm what, saying is, I don't... That, I, well, it doesn't matter. I, I don't think Barbie looks bad. I think it's not great, and I think it... For, like, again, this is all subjective, but for me, I think it lies somewhere in between those. Between okay, bad I'm, and great. I'm just saying, to me, like, I just don't know. I don't know if it needs to be doing any more than it is. And that doesn't make it bad. Like, there's a... Or that doesn't make it not great, if that makes sense. Like, well, the thing, a, is, the thing is, I know what it's going for, and I also don't think it's the best version of that it could be. I, okay. I think... I think... Um, I actually thought... There were a couple of times where I thought the lighting wasn't good. Um, it's... Uh, I like the more like set feeling of Barbie land, but there's also some times where like it's not as lit as I thought it would be. I was like, Oh, it's actually the actor's faces aren't lit that well. And there's the obvious, you know, easy target for me, low contrast night scene, but I, that's not even like a huge factor of it to me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Um, but let's let's move on to something else. Um, why don't why don't we talk about the cast? Um, Very good. So yeah, well, what haven't we talked about? <laughs> They're all great. Uh, I think I think uh, I think uh, America Ferrera is actually quite good in this movie. Um, I guess you guys might disagree if you don't like her character or the things she does, but I think that uh, I think she actually gives a really nice grounded performance within like a kind of absurd script and i i like that a lot i also think that michael Sarah is very funny in this movie um yeah and d- that takes his limited screen time very well um uh, yeah actually I'll say that. but I, I think margot robbie is the is the takeaway performance in this movie for me yeah. spinning off the michael Sarah thing i think alan is a good example of commentary without being commentary of just like yeah here is a male ally and not once are we going to say that or point that out. Uh, so that's an example of, that's a compliment of like, that's a, a, the movie doing a good job of like, not, of, of saying like the, the point that out loud sounds bad, not all men are bad. Like out loud people recognize like that is a stupid thing to say, but like it's showing that and being like, you can be an ally and this is a way of just like supporting and but like in specific ways, I guess. I actually don't think that's the point that is made with Alan. And I think that I think that the point that is made with Alan I don't think that he is designed in such a way that 
he actually he cannot attain the standard of ken like that the ken the ken beauty standard or gender rule is something that he is relegated from this is a different character that says something that i think is really funny where it's not alan but it ties into the on where he says like i i'm a i'm a man without power am i does that make me a woman and i think like mm, that's yeah. like and i think that it's a similar idea with alan where it's like this is this is like a, a male character without power and without the same status and so he's actually kind of barred from the the male gender role and all of the baggage that comes with that because he just can't access it the same as the other ones um and i i, I think that's more the point that's being made rather than just like because i th- i think that whatever I like, think, that's a different I think, point but yeah i think, I think we're I think honestly agreeing point. sort of in that i don't think the reason of it for me is as important like you're you're focusing on wh- why but i'm focusing on the result but they're, they're, we're saying the same thing in that, like, what Alan represents. Yeah, you're saying that he can't hold power, so he's against the Kens, but he's for the Barbies. And I'm focusing on just the fact that he is against the Kens and for the Barbies is in of itself, to me, the commentary. You're looking at, but why is that? And that's good commentary. No, but, but I'm not saying, I, I don't think the point is that, like, look at this ally. I don't think that's the point. And I also don't think the point is like, I think saying like, the not all men are bad. I also think I also don't think that's the point either. I think it's just like I think it's saying I think the point is the reason that like the point this movie is making is that like the reason a lot of these men are bad is because of this general, and it's because of ideas that are like incepted into them and socialized and that they're socialized to, and Alan just wasn't socialized to those ideas and that's why he's different. So I think it's talking about the plasticity of character within gender roles that exist. Like, you, not everyone is going to be able to fall within them. Um, and I, I do think that's separate from what you're saying. Right. But not like, trying to you, be, not trying to be aggro. The men who don't fall under the traditional gender roles. That doesn't make them an ally. Are in? Well, he is. He's Alan the ally. Whatever. I'm not going to drill hard. I think Michael Ciro is great in this. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, I've, I've said it before. I think, like, I, I heard this on Twitter, too. Like, people being like, Margot is great, but Ryan could get an Oscar for this. I don't know if the Oscars will no, it's probably acknowledge a movie Calvary. like this. I just don't, I don't think that's possible. But that's, I'm agreeing with the sentiment of that, in that Ryan Gosling gets to really let loose, like he did in one of my favorite movies, The Nice Guys. And... Like just consistently made scenes a hundred times funnier, not because of like just the writing, but because of specifically his performance. Um, and then also like in a similar vein, I think Will Ferrell is so so great in this movie. Um, it's pretty funny. Just like very funny like character act like actor choices that he makes. I was catching like why is he holding pink drumsticks in the beginning? I feel like that was a that feels like a him thing. Uh, and his, like, throwing the card at the turnstile. Um, all very funny things. Peter, are you falling asleep? Are we boring you? <laughs> I can catch this, but I just wanted to, like, touch base with you before we, we lose you completely. Peter, you just give the most deer-in-the-headlights look I've ever seen. <laughs> 
That was cut a, it, that was a sleeper if I ever saw one. Okay. This is on. also, I will cut this, but this is not the first time this has happened. I will remind you, you have fallen asleep on pod time before. Peter, what do you think about some of the casting or the, the acting? I thought it was fantastic. Uh, my highlight, well, other than the obvious, Ryan Gosling and uh, Margot Robbie, is uh, Issa Rae, actually. Uh, oh, yeah. She was uh, she was also in Across the Spider Verse, I think. Yep. As um, yep. Um, Spider Woman. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well, I think I think she just like you know, just very naturally com- comedic, very funny. Yeah, she she had very good comedic timing. Yeah, she was yeah. very funny. I agree with that. Cool. Damn, this, <laughs> this 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 part is this we're losing steam here, fellas. What are you talking about? I'm great. Um, I liked. I'm just gonna go start going in order. I'm losing segue energy. Um, I like the kind of subtle idea of like, like the the difference between who are currently in control of Mattel, the CEO, and all of his goons, versus Mm -hmm. the original creator of Barbie. How it's again kind of like patriarchy versus, um, like the self created woman kind of idea. and also, like like Will Ferrell's joke about like how there's there has only been two female CEOs of of Mattel was <laughs> I found that really funny. Um, I also like then, that in mm-hmm. in that same scene he's like he's just saying like superficial responses that are like excuses and then like that he's I said well, I forgot what it is but it's the final thing he says that's like unrelated where he's like how can I be racist if I have a Jewish friend or something it's yeah just yeah yeah. Not, but it's like the same vein of things, but it's unrelated. It's like again, it's like it's using it's a classic comedic thing where you just you're creating an absurd connection between two things to show how similar they are, and it I, it's a really funny moment. Yeah. Um, mm, looking at the list. <laughs> Here, I, okay, know, I can talk we, about something. I can co- talk yeah, about something. Please, we've covered a lot yeah, of them. I'm trying to delete what we've done. Yeah. Uh, so I'll talk about. Um, play and i think that's a really interesting idea because i really like one of the things i think this movie is tackling is the idea of like playing with a toy playing with a doll's little kid specifically talking uh playing with a doll's a little girl and how that should be and in some cases is like a freeing experience like the point of play is so that kids can like test the boundaries of what is possible and they can like, exercise their imaginations and I think the movie is making a really interesting point about how kids kids and girls do that with Barbie. Like, they're still... Because people have that kind of ingenuity and creativity, like, that still happens. However, there's also a limiting factor. Like, play has also become this restrictive thing in that it's creating a sort of reality for these girls that are playing with it because it's so segmented and it's it creates an image like of what they have to be. And so I, I like the way that it's, and I think you can extend that to a broader look of how, even though gender roles are very restrictive and are socialized very effectively, such that people conform to them, like conform them a lot and very strongly, people are still able to play within that. And they don't like there, there's, I, I think it, it is trying to talk about like the, the playful nature of gender. And I'm, I'm using that word a lot, but I, I like that. So they're able to take some things that they think are really 
exciting about Barbie. Like, the movie isn't casting shame on girls for, like, liking pink. Like, that's great, like, if you like pink. And, like, they're not saying that there's anything wrong with, like, wanting to wear a dress, which is, like, these are two things that are, like, not inherent to being a woman. Like, those are just things, that's just the way things are. Um, and it's, it's talking about how, like, even though maybe some things are designed to be oppressive, like, people are able to take things and subvert them and flip them. And I think that that's that's an interesting take like that the resolution isn't a rejection of all things that are barbie it's just yeah. uh it's a it's just understanding the way that sometimes these images and these gender roles are very restrictive peter you say something uh, yeah i think i absolutely agree with you i think that's a fantastic way to represent it and also it's it's actually really interesting because like as a kid i don't think any kids would like to play with like an ugly toy for example so there's sort of like an inherent paradox within the concept of playing that, you know, you play with good looking, handsome, pretty, beautiful toys, but these toys at the same time are setting unrealistic expectations of society, of genders at the same time. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, like a loop, like a vicious yeah. cycle going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I think one really interesting thing that the Barbie movie does is kind of tackle the the kind of like typical criticism of Barbie, but also like so there's this idea that um, America Ferreira's uh, kid in the movie uh, throws at Barbie when she first meet, meets her is that like Barbie is actually bad in that she sets these unrealistic standards, but then. What's interesting to me is that, like, how that affects Barbie herself as a toy-turned-human being and eventually stays human being, but, like, how that hurts her kind of, like, self-view in, like, the idea that by being herself, she is somehow bad for other sure. people. That is right? very interesting, yeah. And, yeah, I don't, like... They never say that, like, I, I don't think anyone is ever critical of Barbie and, like, like her personal characteristics. But I think that is, like, that reaction. Well, that and some of the other reactions she gets while in the real world are kind of what start that snowball of, like, losing that, that confidence she had at the beginning, right? So it's the moment where she's like, I feel conscious of myself. Um, which yeah. he realizes like like self-consciousness and then it's that's kind of like the final blow I think is the that criticism um, well also uh, sorry just before we move on I really like how that scene is set up as well like like when um, at the very beginning there was a narrator sort of introducing it's like oh you know like um, we, we also made more Barbies Barbie firefighter Barbie president etc and they said, oh, then this, like, solved the, the issue with, like, gender equality, etc. And then, of course, like, when that line played in, this, in the theater, everyone laughed. Um, and, and, like, of course, they tagged on, like, at least in Barbie land. So, like, in Barbie land, there's sort of, like, this inherent propaganda that, like, Barbie has, uh, <laughs> Barbie has just basically solved uh, sexism in, 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 in the real world. And, like, there was, like, this sort of, like, um, 
even the Barbies themselves, they said, oh, the, the girls must, like, every girl you meet will probably give you a big hug, says you're, they're your biggest fan, etc. So, like, it's almost like a, like a moment where, like, her entire belief is shattered. And you can just, like, again, Aiden, I think, like, this is one of the moments where Margot Robbie's performance just carried the entire scene. Yeah. Um, like, like, you can just see, like, her slowly realizing that, like, everything that she believed in is just wrong. It's just, like, false. Like, does not happen in the real world. And, like, you, you just see her slowly breaking down from, like, slowly, like, tears, uh, fall, uh, like, just one, like, one or two tears to, like, just fall on crying. That was just, yeah, that was a brilliant sequence. Yeah, and I like, it's, like, kind of touching on, like, the reality humans live in is one in which, like, we are not just the products of, like, ourselves, but also, like, what people cast onto us. And I think that's really interesting, like, that the moment she comes into the real world and she's receiving judgment, that's when she, that's when she becomes a person. Like, that's what they're, mm-hmm. de- that's almost, like, what they're defining as humanity is that, like, existing in this social net where people are casting their own judgments and their own visions and uh like different roles that they've seen on you like the roles that are casted onto you and the images that are in the images and symbols that are casted onto you and so i think that's a good detail as well that like self-consciousness comes from entering this social web and I, i i like that i like that detail yeah um i i only thing else that I want to talk about is kind of like the the back half of the the Ken journey and how that how how the Ken antagonist as an antagonist is resolved so in in Aiden's words did the fellas get off too easy I'm not even like in a way yes is I don't know so so the movie posits that I'm kind of confused even what um the relationship between Barbie and Ken is at the beginning because he does say we're boyfriend girlfriend and she says that is true I think she kind of just doesn't say anything or she yeah, doesn't he never even like, like explicitly yeah. said yes or yeah. so no, like I think yeah I don't yeah so the 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 status quo at the beginning I'm, I'm not sure about but the, the I think energy... the idea is that that's how they're marketed and that's what the products are supposed to be yeah and so like that's what's imposed on them but it, it's not necessarily their reality yeah so the the energy of the relationship truly is the rebuffed uh friend who has feelings for his female friend but it's not reciprocated so this is um from what i understand a common problem in the real world and is I, I think is an interesting idea to to tackle in this movie um that ken feels like almost like he's kind of like owed something and because he's like ignored he likes the idea of like taking back the power like he feels powerless in that um and then so so yeah in like i like i like that idea of like like exploring that new thought i think the ending the ending didn't really strike right, exactly right for me i felt like barbie i don't know if barbie needed to apologize to him i felt like that v- validates some of like what he was feeling and i think part of it like i'm torn i think it validates some of like the bad things he did and like that she was wrong and 
I don't know that she was wrong. So I'm I'm on team Barbie in that part. Um but also I think I think the idea of acknowledging his feelings as as valid although his actions as being under like you you know your feelings can be valid but your actions not necessarily your actions can be criticized whereas your feelings maybe maybe it's okay to be like yeah that sucks for you but you didn't have to be the jackass you were so um it kind of worked and kind of didn't work for me i guess yeah uh so i'll say like it also kind of worked and kind of didn't work for me uh and so what i'll say is that i think that the movie in that moment is trying to also it's trying to show how gender roles are also restrictive for men and i think that that's that's obvious in a few ways but i think that something the movie does and it it remarks upon this like there's lines where they say that is that like the relationship of ken's to barbie's is not exactly but in some ways similar to the reverse gender roles that exist in the real world so like ken's exist ken's get their sense of value from validation from the barbies and so i think what barbie is apologizing for in the end is that she like she was kind of like i guess feeding into a little bit but that's where it gets gray where it's like was she like i don't know if she was doing anything to feed into that you know what i mean like i don't know like i guess she's just apologizing she after going through her journey in that film understands what it feels like to feel like that lack of worth and so i think like that's where she's empathizing with with him in that moment however like yeah i just don't know if that i I think it's 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 important that this movie it's nice that this movie is very empathetic um just like to, to i would say to everyone that's in it it's just a very empathetic sort of movie that's trying to basically say it's trying to like let people just be people and be valuable on their own and not and not be the product of what is cast onto them and i think that that's the point of the what if i'm just barbie and you're just ken and we're just our own people that have our own intrinsic value we don't have to be what people have set out for us to be we don't have to be this couple we're just two people and you need to find value within yourself um but yeah i just i don't know ken does really shitty things like and i think that like i think that uh you know he doesn't necessarily need a need an apology there yeah I just, uh, yeah i just say like i think it's nice that they did give ken this sort of like uh this conclusion at least because like at the very beginning it's like it's very clear that ken is sort of like craves and desires that validation like he like like you said like it's sort of like his entire purpose is like and uh his entire purpose is literally to like get validation from barbie it's like like literally the narrator says if barbie looks at ken or barbie smells like ken then ken is having a good day unlike barbie who's having a good day every day uh but then like at the end sort of like we uh like sort of like this validation of self-worth and also like you can be your own person it doesn't have to be barbie and ken it can be barbie and ken separately uh it's i think it's a nice way to wrap it up at least like you know in a way in a in a in a movie that's majority uh, it's mainly about barbie and um and and like i think like it's nice that the like so at least ryan gosling's ken just like gets a 
conclusion of his story as well and he gets to sort of live instead of in barbie's shadow to be like his own person yeah i like um i think in in said this first in that like barbie land is like the reverse of patriarchy i don't know when people say matriarchy i'm not sure that's what they're picturing is like an exact opposite of patriarchy because i think i think part of the like like the idea of what when we conceptualize patriarchy and matriarchy barbie land is more like a female version of patriarchy than it is of matriarchy from my understanding of those concepts (laughs) which i will admit is loose at best uh but in that like if that's what she's apologizing for i did find it very interesting that they hold like steadfast to that initial status quo like they they bring it back (laughs) to the way it was and i thought that was a really odd choice to be like and then the women were back in power and the kens were just kens again thank goodness i (laughs) like unless like unless i'm forgetting something it was like the joke about you'll have about as much power as women do in the real world or something like that didn't feel like for such an empathetic movie that wasn't the ending that I was expecting of just being like, and then like more or less the Kens go back to the way they were and the women rule the world again. Or Barbie land. Like it's, it's, I, I imagine that like, it's kind of like a fun lighthearted, like way to end a movie and probably more interesting for women to talk about than it is for us. Right. Like we'll have different reactions to it, but you know, I, still, I think it's a little contradictory, I guess. Well, yeah, but I will also say that, like, I would like it way less if the ending was that, like, now we have equal Kens in government. Like, that's a that would feel like a dumb ending to me, where it's just, like... Yeah, I think, because, realistically, like, the Barbie movie is in the context of, like, the real world we live in is patriarchal. Patriarchal. One of those words. Um, and so I think that, like, a movie where it's just like where it's just like oh we all need to come together like that's not a good ending like that mm. it just i think it just can't be that and i think the ending more or less has to be what it is in order to not just like completely lose like lose me and i think like lose a lot of the people that are watching it like i would just be like this is silly in the end um but i do want to say when i say people are getting off too easy i think that there's some validation for ken getting off easy and i'm actually talking about like the ceos who like clearly awful like the people working in the building clearly awful and in the end Mm -hmm. are just like we just want to have a tickle fight it's like no these are deeply evil those guys (laughs) profiting like dude i'm I'm being uh... serious like they like these are like evil evil people and when we're talking about like the restrictive nature of the of the toys that were put in place the restrictive nature of play and the restrictiveness of gender roles like these guys are the profiteers and purveyors of that they should be massacred not massacred (laughs) but they should like they should not their (laughs) ending should not be that they're actually just sweet old boys that want to tickle each other like no they're evil No, yeah, I, I and I think like originally I thought when based on the trailers I thought it's about like the Martell Corporation trying to capture Barbie and then somehow 
like profit out out of it but like obviously yeah. the movie took it in a very different direction i think the movie went very light on the corporate commentary like maybe it's yeah. because the movie is like sponsored and made by martel right. at the same time um like but but like the 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 ceo and the boardroom stuff is mainly used as comedic relief instead of like actual insightful comments on the structure of corporate america um and like yeah. especially like at the end i mean this is sort of like a, i guess a small commentary delivered in a joke manner uh when uh, when gloria suggested hey i want to design a normal barbie and then the ceo is about to shut it down and then like someone literally took out an ipad and started running calculations like, yeah boss this will actually be profitable i was like oh great this is a yeah. fantastic idea like that's as far as the commentary goes, yeah i feel like which is and that's yeah. a good moment but yeah yeah uh, yeah no just i don't know about them getting off too easy but i i was honestly a little surprised at how much mattel was allowed like was willing for greta gerwig to allow like like to let them poke fun at themselves in a way like there was there was a little more leniency than i was even expecting like talking about how many female ceos mattel has had i was like oh we're pulling out like the facts and figures oh like, that is got, a fact the the two female CEO thing. I don't think they made it up. Oh like, wow! Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm just yeah. guessing, but it sounds like it was a real. Anyways, um, and just like like Will Ferrell being like a really dumb version of their CEO is is funny. I do I do think there's a point to which like people because it's so absurd and because the way Mattel is depicted in the movie as like almost as highly stylized as barbie land in the real like like in the real world mattel is more like Bar barbie land than it is like the rest of the real world i think mm -hmm. that's part of maybe why mattel was so like yeah whatever this is fine because people just intrinsically know like that's not real that's not what mattel is like but um i don't know it was it was it was uh, interesting I, I found it fun i wasn't i wasn't really there to look at the mattel kind of commentary i guess no, I wasn't either. And to be perfectly clear, like this movie is like it's not it's not threatening to Mattel to make this movie, even if like like I think that's why they allowed it is because like the critiques leveled against it ultimately don't cut into like the profits Mattel has. This movie is overall going to be profitable and it's actually better for Mattel if it's critical of Mattel. Because if it wasn't critical of Mattel, it's just propaganda, and people wouldn't like that. And so yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the best this is the best case scenario for Mattel that it is a movie that offers some light criticism towards it, um, that's ultimately profitable and beneficial. I just think that like so yeah, I'm not expecting the movie to actually be like a biting takedown of of corporate America and how uh, capitalism intersects with gender roles. Like I'm not I'm not really expecting that. But like in a movie that like. In a movie that's tackling what this is, like, yeah, these are these are evil human beings, and sure they're absurd, but like, I, it's not even necessarily that I need them to be punished. I just need them to like stay cartoonishly evil the whole time. Like they can't they they can't in the end be like we we actually don't want to do this. Like yes you do. Yeah like yeah yes you do. You like this is everything. This is your whole identity. So like that like that's more what my point is. I'm not expecting it to be. A, a biting critique of that it's just they got off, yeah the I, fellas, the fellas got off too the easy. fellas got off too easy yeah um 
Actually, I, I was going to say last thing to talk about. Uh, I'm just Ken. Fun, fun song. I actually think that the song itself was not particularly memorable. I could yeah, not I don't, tell you I actually how don't it goes. remember it at all. I, <laughs> think, I think they could have. Uh, it's like, I'm just Ken. Anywhere else, I'd be a 10. Something, something, something. Yeah. yeah I, I remember true. that line because that's the that. beginning. Yeah. I think in the song department, they could have. They could have done a little better on that, but I think the I think the the, the Dua show Lipa stopping in my head. Yeah, the Dua Lipa one's really good. Yeah. I can't sure remember that one. The Lizzo one. It's was the iconic. one they uh, danced to at the very beginning. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> this is so random. You're the Tame Impala song when they first enter the real world. Every no. time I hear <laughs> Tame Impala in these movies, I'm like, oh my god, it's Tame Impala. Um, Do you I know that like, that's just one guy? This is one guy in Australia. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I had something else else. Okay. Can I just quickly say one thing? Quickly say one thing. One thing. I, I really thought the 2001 uh, homage moment was just made for the teaser. But the fact that it's actually yeah, the kinda... beginning of the movie <laughs> is fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah so I actually awesome. wasn't expecting that to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a... For, and for, because that became the case, I was actually disappointed that they made that the trailer. That would have been yeah. so much funnier if we had no idea that was coming. That is true. That's an example of true. like, I think a lot of this movie, some of the really great moments were spoiled in the trailer. And I, um, yeah. a lot, like anytime a trailer moment dropped, I was like, oh, it's a, this is the trailer moment. And what was funny, like was dead silent in the theater because everyone saw that and they were that's like that's actually yeah, I know this bit. that's not true for our theater though people were dying laughing at so many of the trailer moments like especially same, the same guy here, yeah. the guy beside me was loving the 2001 thing he was cackling the, so maybe the, a lot of people just didn't watch it so. maybe not that one but there was some of the other jokes i don't i don't remember which ones but the 2001 one i think i think nonetheless would have like gotten better reaction if those of us i would have liked it more for sure yeah yeah. Um, uh, something else. I don't remember. We'll just say it's whatever. Um, Barbin versus Heimer. I mean, Barb versus Inheimer. Do you guys uh, have a I did a like favorite? Oppenheimer more. I liked Oppenheimer more. I liked Barbie a lot, though. I think I probably like Barbie the most out of us three, but I liked Oppenheimer more. I, I don't want to hear from Peter yet. I liked uh, Oppenheimer more, but I think that's obvious. Peter? What? I'm, you I'm think I'm going to give a divisive answer? <laughs> well, no, because you said you don't like Oppenheimer very much. And you said you like uh, okay, okay, that's, Barbie. That's so not true. I it think seems a little Oppenheimer, neck and neck oh, I think Oppenheimer is not, uh, is not, is not that strong uh, to rank within the Nolan portfolio, is what I said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, but between so these two, I still think uh, Oppenheimer is superior. Well... Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer will win in our hearts, it wins yeah. but not in the box office. Apparently, yeah, but that's also but honestly, that's not what like, I was expecting either. I was expecting like Barbie more. But honestly, like to be honest, like when it comes to like a viewing experience, I think like I enjoyed the Barbie viewing experience much more than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer was just so tense the entire time; like my heart was pounding so fast. I, Barbie was a great theater movie. Like it was, yeah, like, that, was, and, that uh, was a great one to see in theaters. Oh, no, well, Oppenheimer, you should pr- probably watch it in the theater as well because the sound oh, is for just sure. absolutely incredible. But yeah. it's just like, like afterwards, you know how like you get butterfly effects in your heart? Like, my God, I had that like lingering for like five, ten minutes after Oppenheimer ended. Yeah. Like, 
It was it's, crazy. It's funny that you say like as if as an experience Barbie was better, but like like unless you just mean more fun, then like that's obvious. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Like that, but, like that. Like Oppenheimer then, was much more tense and also yeah, I like I, like yeah. okay. It's not that I, that's I not enjoyable. I enjoyed that's watching. Enjoyable. My my experience watching Oppenheimer was more enjoyable than it was watching Barbie. I laughed more at Barbie just due to the fact that it is a comedy. I think, I think, I think like leaving the theater, I was like more pumped after having seen Oppenheimer than I was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, and to say like, I had more fun in one than the other. I would almost say I had more fun in Oppenheimer (laughs) in the way that you're supposed to compared to the amount of fun I had from Barbie, which I did also like, you know, it's it's yeah, hard yeah, yeah, because yeah. like one is obviously a comedy and one is a tragedy or like a, but like at least a okay 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 let me rephrase drama. that like I think Barbie had more standout performances compared to Oppenheimer. Ooh, I don't know if I agree. Is that, that a hot take? I don't know if I would rank one above the other in terms of performances. Actually, I think they really have a very solid cast. I thought like I, I don't know like Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie was just like clearly amazing. Like, Oppenheimer yeah, was just, like, across the board good. I don't, I don't know. This, the issue we're going to hit here is Oppenheimer's going for realism, and everyone is doing realism real well. That is whereas, true, yes. Whereas Barbie is highly stylized performances, of which yeah. there are some very strong yeah. contenders. Yeah. And it's this is a, a, you know, a problem that the Oscars has been dealing with for years, is, like, it's easier to notice when people are doing big things than when people are doing the smaller nuanced things, despite the latter being harder. Right. And so that's why I don't really want to even like compare because it's, they're just doing so different things. And I think, I think someone could honestly convince me that like the performances are better in Oppenheimer, but I better is like to even make these comparisons, I think is, futile and like not a real thing that we need to be doing at all yeah i'm just trying to give team barbie like some points that's it (laughs) i I will i i will say though that i think that if you judge them both by how well do the performances achieve what they're going for and how successful are they in the style of acting they are i think that they're both very successful and i don't know which one absolutely on on those terms i don't know which one i would judge above the other those terms are choose Oppenheimer I think the performances in Oppenheimer <laughs> Alex has a clear favorite <laughs> well because well I'll, I'll say that the performances in Oppenheimer are all committed to that realism and they all do that extremely well and I can't yeah. say that every performance in Barbie is stellar if we're going sure. like everybody and not just like standout cast like I think that the Oppenheimer is a hundred percent there and I can't say that for Barbie okay I just want to say though Kingsley Benadier has been in so many oh, he's projects great. recently. Like, why yeah. am I seeing him in so many projects all of a sudden? He's I a swear to God, I've never heard about... I mean, that is true. I never heard about this guy until, like, Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. And then, now he's in Barbie about to start in the Bob Marty film. And then Barbie, he has Bob other projects. Yeah, and then <laughs> he has, like, other projects coming out as well. Crazy. Bob... Bob Bar- those those Barbley. things sounded too similarly yeah. for me to not say something. <laughs> Bob Barbley. Uh, okay, uh, but I think I, that's it for you guys. Uh, no more that's Barbie. 
Uh, yep. Guys, we have to get to our classic segment times two. We actually kind of forgot. Oh this. yes, yeah, uh, yeah. So this is in case you haven't noticed, the podcast is called Predator versus Movies. We've done the movies <laughs> plural, and now it's time to get into the predators plural. And so we asked the question: Would these movies be better if the predator from the movie Predator was in it? Let's start with Oppenheimer. No, no. a resounding <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, next. For, as for Barbie, it, Barbie, it, I say yes, like potentially, like, like I think because it's a, um, it's a merchandise Barbie product Man. that sorry exists. No, you go, you go, Peter, you go. I like I think traveling between Barbie Land to like real world, it, it will be kind of crazy if like a Predator <laughs> just pops out in the background there. They pass you know through I mean? Predator world. Oh, or, or like, um, Predator is a toy, Mattel right? captured the Predator in one That's of these what I'm boxes. Looking up. I'm looking up if Mattel owns any Predator. Um, well, even if I, Mattel I didn't own that. it, if you, even if it's just a toy in general, like I wonder, like yeah. you could just have like, he's he's coming through the gap from Predator World too. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a post credit scene. That's a post credit yeah, sure. scene. <laughs> I didn't stay for post credits. I don't know if there was one for Barbie. I didn't either. Um, I was gonna say, uh, oh, uh, Predator would be great for the the Kens. With their their love of male, yeah. Stuff. Oh, they love they love the movie Predator. That's true. They would eat up Predator. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think we gotta wrap it up there. Uh, no Rex this week. No trailers. No um, no news. We had a, a long and full Barbenheimer discussion for you next week. I have no idea what we're doing. We have not decided. Uh, if you like us, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Predator V Movies. Like my thoughts on movies, check me out on Letterboxd at underscore underscore and underscore. I leave reviews sometimes. You can also uh, check me out on Letterboxd. I'm 810Sunny. It's 810-S-O-N-N-Y. <laughs> my name is Wombo. I also leave reviews sometimes, though they are often short or non-existent. We're literally falling apart at the seams right now. <laughs> um, Peter, do you have anything to plug? And I have nothing to plug, which means you have to leave a review, give us a rating, Five wherever stars, the hell you listen spotify to apple yeah. podcast youtube yeah. wherever you listen to us uh-huh i can't help yeah, but do that right me. now and you're you're doing the whatever the hell i've i've noticed you've been doing that you've like incorporated that into your lexicon now like from the sketch we can do whatever, whatever the whatever the hell we want we can say whatever the hell we want from the spooky I think you should oh, leave sketch. Do, oh, do I do that? Oh, okay. Yes. You, you, oh, the way you maybe say been hell. Maybe accepted into my head. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think, I'm surprised you weren't doing that intentionally. No. But yeah, you go. Maybe you, I just unconsciously influenced by that show. Because you literally just said, you could say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not the first time either. I've heard you say that recently. Yeah. Uh, but yes, leave a review. Uh, until next time. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. And this was Predator vs. Movies, Barbenheimer Edition. See you next week. Woo! Pew, 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 pew. pew, pew, pew.